the wild, make peace with your mind, and the newest one, from suffering to peace, true promise of mindfulness. He is one of our senior teachers here at Spirit Rock, and enjoy your day with him. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Nice to see some friendly faces and some new faces. Ooh, this is a little distorted. Um, so, welcome. Um, how's the sound? Is that how's the sound? Sound okay? Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, very happy to be here as always. It's a beautiful thing to come together and meditate to uh, meditate in this beautiful hall I've just spent a week meditating in the woods um, guiding a, a nature meditation teacher training uh, one of our participants is here from that training um, so I feel very um, I know what the word is. I've been hanging out with the ants, with the tree people, <laughs> and the forest people, and the bird people, and the. So, just had a shower, so I cleaned up. But <laughs> uh, so very, I very feel very infused with um, being in, you know in nature, which is such a profound support for presence and awareness, which is the theme today of exploring this mystery of awareness. So I look forward to um, exploring that in different ways, through different practices and meditations and inquiry and However else, awareness emerges and reveals itself. So I'm curious about you, who's here. So how many people are new to Spirit Rock? Is this your first time at Spirit Rock? Okay, quite a lot of people. Great. Where did you find out about Spirit Rock? Just shout out. Is it internet, friends? Friends, partner? Facebook. Facebook? Mm-hmm. Um, and how many of you is this your first day-long meditation day? Just your whole day meditating. Um, okay, great. And um, how many of you are relatively new to mindfulness practice, like have been been studying mindfulness less than a year, say, or not at all, even? Okay, all right. <coughs> I think that's all I need to know for now. Any nature lovers here? <laughs> Is that a silly question? <laughs> she needs all the love we can give her in love and action. So, um, yeah, so just a little about me, since some of you probably don't know who I am. So I've been, I'm from England, been over here the last 25 years, so sadly losing the accent. 
um, and uh, praying that Brexit doesn't happen, but that's another story. So, began meditating 35 years ago, mostly mindfulness practice, heart practices, insight meditation practice for the last almost 30 years. Also studied in the Tibetan tradition, but mainly in in the insight, Vipassana, Theravadan tradition, which Spirit Rock is uh, in the lineage of. And been teaching uh, meditation retreats the last 20 years or so, and my wilderness meditation work, similar time. Also was a therapist and a coach. Um, and uh, you know, for most of that time, it's probably last the last thirty years or so, really been interested in, in exploring this uh, theme of awareness, right? awareness being the fabric of mindfulness practice and mindfulness practice being very much central to what I have been cultivating in meditation and in my life and teaching. And um, so as you meditate, depending on the meditation, but as you meditate, one can't help but become curious about awareness, about this mystery of the mind, the nature of the mind that has this capacity to know, to be aware, to be present, to be wakeful, to be clear about experience, about ourselves, about life. And yet it's very mysterious. If I asked you, if I said, okay, let's all just show show me your awareness <laughs> right you'd be like oh what do you mean show me awareness or if i said tell me where it is what would you say where is it located or what size is it what color is it what shape is it what form is it might start to feel a little perplexed. What is this awareness? That's clearly here because if you weren't aware, well, you wouldn't be cognizant. You'd probably be in a coma or dead. Or maybe asleep. But, you know, some traditions talk about awareness pervading sleep because you wake up and you go, how did you sleep? I was pretty good. How did you know you slept good? Something was present to that. Who knows what? Aside from the just knowing that you feel rested or not. And sometimes we can be lucid in our dream life. Sometimes dreams is happening by themselves. Sometimes we have lucid dreaming where awareness is clearly present. And sometimes we're directing the dream. What is that? Some of you may say, well, who cares? <laughs> but probably not because you're here on this day-long called awareness. So I'm assuming there's some modicum of interest. Unless you really needed to get continuing ed units before the end of the year. This was the one thing that looked vaguely interesting. (laughs) 
But as I said, if you have any kind of meditation, contemplative practice, that at some point you start to become aware of what it is that's being aware, and why do we become unaware, and why is it so hard to be aware? So all kinds of questions, not necessarily easy to obvious to answer. I hope I haven't lost too many of you already in, in these questions. But it's also good to be perplexed, to not know. It's this great line from uh, Adi Lang, and I really invite you to, in the, so in the tradition we talk about beginner's mind, which is this mind that's basically curious. That's like, okay, let me, you know, maybe you've been exploring awareness for the last two or three decades, some of you. I know some of you have meditated a long time. And this is a very familiar subject. And can we bring that curiosity of like, well, I know I know what I know, and what is it that I don't know? Right? So this is from Adi Lang. He says, there is something I don't know that I am supposed to know. Maybe you think you're supposed to know what awareness is because you've been meditating for a long time. Maybe you teach mindfulness. I don't know what it is I don't know, and yet I'm supposed to know. And I feel I look stupid if I seem to both not know it and not know what it is I don't know. Therefore, I pretend not to know it. This is nerve-wracking since I don't know what I must pretend to know. Therefore, I pretend to know everything. I feel you know what I'm supposed to know, but you can't tell me what it is because you don't know that I don't know what it is. You may know what I don't know, but not that I don't know it. And I can't tell you, so you will have to tell me everything. <laughs> so, so we can take refuge in today in, in the company of not knowing and, and see what gets revealed in, the, in that perplexed not knowing. So as Rumi <clears throat> put it poetically, as he does, the one you are looking for is the one who is doing the looking. The one you are looking for is the one who is looking. The one who is looking spoken about in many different ways, in this case poetically, in the Sufi tradition, um, Ajahn Chah from the Thai forest tradition, Buddhist tradition, talked about the one who knows, talked about it as the original mind. The Tibetan Dzogchen tradition, they call it luminous awareness, self-knowing awareness. could say the Buddha spoke to it as mindfulness, sati, knowing, clear knowing, clear awareness. And central to this practice, let me read you something from Achan Shah, another great, great Thai forest meditation master. He said, This mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful, just like a leaf which is still as as, as long as no wind blows. 
If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the wind. The fluttering in our mind is due to all the impressions, thoughts, feelings, sense impressions that the mind follows. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If we fully know the true nature of sense impressions, we will be unmoved. Our practice is to see this original mind, this awareness. So we train to know our experience, sense impressions, thoughts, feelings, not get so lost in them. This is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So, in meditation and in mindfulness practice in particular, and in insight, the Pasana practice, the attention is mostly on something, some object of experience. Right? We pay attention, we're mindful of our breath, we're mindful of our body, which means we pay attention to the breath and the body, or to sounds, or to thoughts, or to feelings, or to space, or to light, or to color, or to some visualization. Right? Our attention is, a, is paying attention, being aware of something. Or in life we're attending to each other, to driving, to experience. And we will do plenty of that today. We'll be attending to things because that's what awareness does. It is aware of experience, moment to moment, effortlessly, naturally, spontaneously. And we can also be present to that which is knowing those things, to that which is aware of those things. We don't normally pay attention to awareness. It's a bit like a window like this wind, these windows here, we don't normally notice the window. We notice what's through the window. The window reveals, in this case, the outside. Right? You know, if you if you look this way, no window, no outside. Look that way, you see the hills and trees and grass. We don't normally look at the window that's revealing the outside because it's invisible. In the same way, we don't normally pay attention to awareness because it's sort of background, sort of invisible, but it's what's allowing us to know experience. Aside from our sensory apparatus of, say, the eyes and the retina and the brain processing of all that, but something happens above and beyond the physical processes that we refer to as awareness, consciousness, which is sort of a, a source of a topic that's of a lot of interest these days in psychology and in neuroscience, and it's barely uh, an agreement of understanding in any any rudimentary way what awareness is in neuroscience. A lot of studies of mindfulness and its impact on the brain and cognitive function and behavior and whatnot. But actually understanding what consciousness is is still relatively elusive because our instruments, scientific instruments, are still pretty crude to, you know, there's not even understanding whether consciousness is in the brain or not in the brain. 
Yeah, I'm not going to go into a whole neuroscience thing today. It's not the point. The point is to look into our immediate experience as our own empirical scientific discovery of what do I know in my own immediate direct experience? What is awareness? What is a knowing? What allows me to be mindful, to be present, to be aware? So, some of you may be saying, well, why bother? (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) I'm present. That's enough. Let's get on with it. Let's go have a cup of tea. Let's go take a nap. Let's read a book. Something. Why do we want to be aware? Why do we want to also be aware of awareness? This knowing quality of mind. What's the point? What's the value? Right? These... Buddhist teachings have a certain pragmatic um, orientation. Right? The Buddha, the Buddha taught as a means to uh, find a way to live in this world um, without suffering, without reactivity, to find a way to work with the stress of life. Anybody stressed here? Anybody busy and overwhelmed? And too much time on the computer, doing emails, whatever else you do, writing reports. And we live in stressful times, personally, work, culturally, politically, ecologically. And as you know from your own experience in meditation or otherwise, we're not necessarily that present much of the time. Some of the time. And as we meditate, maybe a little more of the time, hopefully. Harvard Medical School school students did a study on tracking a few thousand people and uh, asking them three questions, ping them on their cell phones through the day. Uh, are you? What are you doing? Are you present to what you are you? Are you? What are you doing? What are you? Pre- are you present to what you're doing? And how do you feel? And they collected all these data points, several thousand data points, and uh, summary from this sort of you know, somewhat rudimentary study, but study nonetheless was that people were present, guess how much of the day? How much were they present to what they were doing? 10%. 10 people always say 10%. <laughs> A little confession. <laughs> it was 40, basically 47%, 46.9%. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> that was a good day. <laughs> You know, people self-report on studies is all the sort of body of, you know, study. But, so who knows actually, really. Um, but let's say half the time. Half the time. No, I'd say, you know, it's probably true. We're present. You know, some of the time for sure. Though, we crash. We'd put our fork in our ear and, you know, we do silly things sometimes. But, you know, we, we don't trip over too much and we, you know, generally can have conversations and requires a lot of attention. But still half the time we're not here. We're somewhere else. We're thinking, we're spaced out, we're planning, we're, who knows, usually in our heads. 
So, you know, one of the values of being aware, as you know, paying attention, is we're more here. We learn to be more present to life, to each other, to ourselves, to experience, to beauty, to love, to joy. And so having just spent this week in, in the forest, up in um, near Grass Valley, and um, one of the things I love about teaching outside is, and I, I sort of usually pose the question, especially because it's a lovely place, why wouldn't you want to be present? It's beautiful. Why would you not want to be here? There's an invitation to be present because it's beautiful. And yet, we're still not present a lot because of habit, because of conditioning, because of reactivity, because of who knows what pain. Lots of reasons why we choose not to be here. Acham Buddha Dasa Another great Thai meditation teacher said, you know, when someone asked him about how would he describe his meditation students, he said three words, lost in thought. Lost in thought. And if, you know, when we come to meditate today, you'll be like, yep, that's me, lost in thought. Most of the time, 46.9% or more, lost in thought. That's being human and having a very developed prefrontal cortex and a default mode network that's mostly ruminating and self-narrative uh, about our life and our world. And so that's the sort of the, the hard, you know, the sort of hard wiring that we have is we have big brains that think a lot, which pull our attention, which pull us out of just being present to the, what's here. So... Or we don't want, there's a cartoon, there's a woman standing in line uh, waiting for the, the clerk at the store and there's a bunch of, there's a kid having a tantrum screaming in front of her and she has this thought bubble, the thought says, I want to learn to be in the present moment but not this moment. <laughs> More like a moment at the beach or having an ice cream right? or where you know. Right? We like to be present for the fun stuff and if it's unpleasant, we check out. Right? If our body's hurting, if our heart's tender, if we're feeling vulnerable or deficient or lonely or scared, right? it's hard to be present to that stuff. So what do we do? We vacate. We go on holiday. We create you know, fantasy or we check out. So, and of course, if that, if that really led to lasting happiness, I say, great, check out. But it doesn't. It, just, it doesn't really equip us to learn how to deal with life, which is often challenging, stressful, difficult, complex. So we practice in the same way that we uh, live in increasingly digital virtual worlds with our computers and phones and all the virtual spaces we hang out in work-wise, recreationally much, much less present. You know, one of the things that's lovely about being in the woods for a week was like, oh, I didn't really look at a screen for a week. I was looking at trees and people and the sky and, and much easier to abide in the present. Because right? that, 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 that the screen takes us into another world. It takes us very far from here, which is fine and useful and, and interesting. But if that's where we live most of the time, then that's where we live most of the time, somewhere else. 
right? which feels ultimately often unsatisfying, disconnecting from ourselves, from our body, from each other. So I don't need to tell you all this because you know all this, but I'm just sort of laying out the ground for why we cultivate presence, awareness, mindfulness. So, down to the business of meditation and awareness. There's a quote from John O'Donohue, which I love. He says, The mystery never leaves you alone. Behind your image, below your words, above your thoughts, the silence of another world awaits. A world lives within you. No one else can bring you news of this inner world. No one else can bring you news of this inner world. So the, the inner world, you could say, is the abode of awareness. No one else can teach us about that. I can point to it, I can explain it, but it really has to come from your own experience. So, so we're going to do a series of um, awareness practices, and maybe I'll just just share you where we're going. So, um, we're going to we're going to first practice with an unawareness practice, so you can relax and just not be aware. And then we're going to cultivate some embodied awareness. The body is, oh look, the turkeys are here. Talk about embodied awareness. Um, It's funny, I was teaching in in the the woods last week and I was guiding the meditation. Everyone's got their eyes closed and I open my eyes when I teach. And this herd, this flock or whatever they're called of 12 turkeys come by behind the meditators which was very sweet, wondering what we're doing. These weird humans sitting in a circle, not moving. <laughs> and then I had this weird thought, it's like, oh, turkeys live outside. Turkeys live in the wild. How do they survive? <laughs> I'm a slightly odd thought, because of course they live in the wild. They're wild. <laughs> Anyhow. So, unawareness practice, embodied awareness practice, movement awareness practice, a more open awareness practice, which I'll share more about, awareness in activity, insightful awareness, loving awareness, and participatory engaged awareness. From some perspective, it's all the same practice. It's all awareness. But we, as it were, apply or cultivate Orient awareness in different in different ways, inwardly, outwardly, in stillness, and emotion, and solitude, and in, in relationship, etc. So, um, so as with a mature practice, we come to have a, a, a fluency with our attention and awareness, so we can learn to be present, whatever the circumstances, alone or in relationship internal or external stillness and movement, happy, sad, expansive, contracted, etc., etc. So, um, yeah, so we'll do, well, I'll be guiding us in a series of practices this morning. We'll have lunch, a series of practices in the afternoon. We'll have questions, talk, discussion. 
Um, so the day will be mostly experiential. This is the most talking I'll do uh, in the day. <clears throat> and um, we'll just be a, a direct, immediate exploration of awareness, cultivation of awareness through various practices. And um, yeah, so we'll start with an awareness practice, which is the really fun practice, because you just have full permission to be unaware. But we'll only do it for a minute. Because <laughs> you do that most of the time. At least 46.9% of the day. So, uh, so the instruction is don't be aware. Don't be mindful. Don't pay attention. Don't notice anything. And don't make any effort. Okay, off you go. I'm going to time it. Eyes open, eyes closed. Doesn't matter because you're not being aware. bell for those of you not being aware um, so how'd you get on how did, did you did you succeed in not being aware did anybody succeed in not noticing anything anybody succeed in not noticing something that whole minute so what did you notice? If you were trying not to be aware, what happened? How come this class has failed miserably at the first? <laughs> what did you notice in the not being aware practice? Microphone, okay. I noticed focusing really on, on what has been and what I'm worried about in the future. That's what I noticed. Okay, so Everything that's not now. And there's a lot there. Right, so you noticed focusing on what's not here, what's being, what's to come. Basically, you're noticing thinking. Yeah. I noticed my breath because that, to me, was a paradoxical intervention. <laughs> right, so you notice your breath, okay, uh -huh. behind you in the white T-shirt. Warriors fan. I, I, foc I noticed my inner critic. Focusing on how not to focus. Okay, so you notice your critic, which was thinking. Okay. okay it, it was such a low bar that I completely relaxed. Mm. So I sort of felt like a, like a little bit of a trick to get us into being very focused because I felt, vi I mean, I was, I was playing with, with 
uh, ruminating on the past. But as I was doing that, I was very aware that I was ruminating on the past. Yes. So it felt like it brought me right into awareness, <laughs> right yes. into the present moment. Thank yes. you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> so you're right, it's a trick. <laughs> you all did it perfect, the last comment. Yeah, so um, I tried not to laugh because the first thing I realized was I have no idea how to do this. And so my eyes were jutting sort of around thinking, okay, don't notice, don't notice. And I saw a wasp fly by and I'm like, okay, I noticed that. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the point of it is um, uh, it's impossible. Right? It's impossible not to be aware right? unless you're dead or maybe asleep or maybe in a coma. This is good news, right? Here we are on a on a, a a day of awareness practice, and it's impossible not to be aware. So, class dismissed. You're good to go. It's complete mission accomplished. <laughs> right? You were all aware of something, even trying not to be aware, right? And as was pointed to, it's a trick in that what usually happens is we relax because oh, I don't have to do anything. Okay. Just relax. And in that relaxation, you start to notice oh, sounds, or breath, or thoughts, or feelings, or feeling hungry, or caffeinated, or tired, or visual stimuli, or you know, any any facet of experience, you just notice how, right? Someone coughs, I notice it. Wasp flies by, I notice it. Achiness in my back, oh, I notice it. Breath comes in, oh, I notice it. That's interesting. It's happening by itself. Awareness happens by itself. Illuminates experience by itself. We don't have to um, make any effort. So, for example, if I can reach the bell striker and reach the bell... And I hit the sound app, I hit the bell. Does anybody have to try hard to hear the bell? Right, sound arises, and if we're you know, in the present, right, our attention is here, the sound is noticed. The Buddha would say hearing consciousness arises in, 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 in Buddhist psychology there's six kinds of consciousness you need to really know that because it sort of all merges into one but seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching and thinking consciousness sound arises strikes the ear and hearing consciousness arises that we just simply know as hearing no big deal And that's true of all experience. Phenomena happens and we notice it to some degree. Unless our attention is very focused on something else. Like if you're reading a book, sometimes you don't notice sounds, right? You get absorbed, right? You're painting, you're absorbed in music and you might not notice your back pain or the dog barking or whatever else is happening. But for the most part, experience arises and is known. 
in what I call awareness. So, since mindfulness practice is the cultivation of awareness and the establishing and abiding in awareness, then if awareness is happening by itself and it's hard not to be aware, then this is good news. But it comes slightly juxtaposed to our experience of meditation or mindfulness, which is, it seems like a lot of effort. A lot of effort to be present, a lot of effort to drag our attention from wherever the hell it goes, where it goes, thinking, planning, spacing out, fantasy, back to the present. Seems like a lot of work. And there's reasons for that, and we'll explore that today some. But I want I want this this day, and I make I made very intentional to call this day a day of awareness, not a day of mindfulness. Because at this point, especially as mindfulness has now become very widespread, and a lot of ideas and assumptions and views about it, it has a lot of baggage around it, and awareness doesn't have the same amount of baggage. And I also prefer the word, because in mindfulness practice it sounds like our mind is full of something, which we usually associate with thoughts. Right? It's really, the mind, in mindfulness, the mind is full of awareness. Right? So it's, it's awareful. Awarefulness just doesn't sound quite as good. <laughs> awarefulness. Um, or heartfulness, or bodyfulness is actually more accurate. Um, so, so awareness happens by itself, always present to something. You could say mindfulness is the conscious knowing of that experience. So, for example, when you drive, when you drove here, or however you got here, but probably most of you drove here, right? You had to be relatively aware, otherwise you would crash. Right? You'd get lost, you'd take the wrong road, and you would crash in a matter of seconds. Right? So there's a so there's modicum of awareness. But as we know, just like with walking, you need a certain amount of awareness to walk, to notice where you're walking, placing your steps. But we know that the brain, and it's all of its amazing sophisticatedness, the knows how to walk and 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 the and and does it by itself we don't have to go okay now lift that lift that thigh and then swing the chin and then place the heel and it does it by itself the more our body and brain does things by itself our mind goes on vacation because it thinks well that's taken care of I'll think about my relationship and I'll think about my job and my bank balance and my, you know, the ecological crisis or whatever's concerning you. So, um, so where am I going with that? So, so driving here, there's a modicum of awareness to make that happen. You could say mindfulness is the conscious knowing of that experience. Right? So you can drive here and I could say, 
did you come, like if you're coming from the city, did you come up through San Rafael or did you go through, you know, Kentfield and, and the back way? And you might say, oh, I don't know, I can't remember. Um, I think I, I just followed my maps. <laughs> it told me I wasn't really paying attention, right? I wasn't consciously knowing what I was doing, even though, of course, on some level you were aware because you got here and you didn't crash. So, um, with mindfulness, we're, we're learning to, to more consciously be present to moment-to-moment experience. And we do that, and we practice that, because of how much we're not here. And that what, that's what often becomes the struggle in meditation. And the reason I'm saying all this, and, and starting with the unawareness practice, which is my favorite practice, and, probably, and sometimes, often, the, the most present you'll be the whole day. Because you're relaxed, and you're noticing what's effortlessly present, and you're not trying to meditate, you're not trying to be the meditator being present which kind of is a bit clunky. It's a bit like when you try to walk mindfully and your mind starts getting in the way of how you walk, it kind of feels clunky. But if you just let yourself walk, it's fine. The same way with mindfulness. Sometimes we get so busy in the meditations, tense and stressed and you know, graspy, and that the naturalness of awareness that's already present gets occluded. So, so I want us to, today, start with this principle of the naturalness of awareness that's naturally knowing experience. Right? And then, of course, we apply certain techniques, certain effort, when our attention wanders, when we're by, say, focusing on a particular thing, we require a certain amount of effort to sustain that attention. But for the most part, to cultivate that quality of relaxed presence, relaxed awareness, natural awareness. Like right now, like as you're listening, it doesn't take a lot of effort, unless you're really bored by what I'm saying, or you're really tired, doesn't take a lot of effort to just, you know, mostly be present, mostly hear and cognize what I'm saying. Right? It's not, not a big deal. Right? And the same is true with meditation. So, so we'll do our second practice, which is embodied awareness. Embodied awareness as in being present to our physical experience. Sitting, sensing, breathing, etc. We use um, we use the body as the vehicle and one of the primary vehicles for awareness because the body and the senses are in the present moment. Right? When I ring the bell, which is It's happening in the present, hearing. When I say, feel your breath, or feel your legs on the seat, it's like, oh, right, it's here, it's happening now. It brings us into the present. 
So let's do a little practice and then we'll, we'll do some more practice. <laughs> Please take care of yourself today. Um, <clears throat> so you need to use the bathroom, get water or whatever. Please take care of that. We will have breaks at times for, for that. Um, there are a lot of cushion in these closets over here to my right, your left. There's cushions and blankets and pillows and all kinds of stuff. There's, if you want to sit on the floor, there's um, cushions at the front here. Um, so, um, but while, since you've been sitting for a while, why don't we just all stand? And and of course, if you need to pee, this would be a moment to go pee, because otherwise you'll just be mindful of needing to pee, mindful of pressing bladder. But if you don't, you stay in the room, just do a little stretching. And um, whatever your body needs to do, just to kind of, you know, loosen up, forward bend, or just kind of shake it out a little bit. And as I say, if you need um, blankets, cushions, sometimes it's nice to have a cushion behind you on the chair just so you sit a little more upright or a blanket. Um, The more upright you are, the less you'll uh, fall asleep when you're sitting. And if you're on the floor, sometimes people need more than one cushion, so you might try with two cushions so you have enough height so you're not collapsing. Um... If you're cold, grab a blanket. And also just notice, you know, as we're cultivating awareness, just being aware of what's happening right now, right? We're standing, we're relieving the body and its stiffness. Stretching. I notice as you stand, there's a little more energy, a little more liveliness, a little more wakefulness, perhaps. And sitting down in a comfortable posture, either in the chairs or um, a cushion. There are some benches which I'm sitting on that are helpful. You put your feet through the bench can be very supportive for the lower back sitting on a stage with the spotlights on and there's three people uh, looking like judges and it's core and, it, and the, the caption is so you think you can meditate as in so you think you can dance <laughs> 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 
So, of course, no one's judging you here about your practice except yourself, and that can be quite difficult and harsh. So, please ignore your inner critic, whatever it has to say about your meditation and awareness. It's got no place here. So, of course, it will have lots of views and opinions about how good your practice is or not, or how aware you are or not. And just notice, oh, when uh, thinking, judging, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Critic, you can have the day off today. So again, I'm going to be invoking the spirit of the first practice we just did, which is unawareness, the naturalness of awareness. So even before you close your eyes, just taking some moments to establish a posture that's comfortable, where you can sit upright and relaxed, it's grounded, feeling your feet on the floor, legs on the chair or a cushion, hands in your lap or on your legs, and the sense of sitting upright, crown of the head lifting to the sky, but at the same time relaxing, shoulders, belly, jaw, eyes. And just have your eyes lowered. So you're looking down in front of you. And uh, before we close our eyes and sort of enter meditation formally, just notice what you notice. Like what are you present to right now? Because your eyes are open, you're aware of the visual stimuli. Maybe the sounds. And again, invoking this quality of natural awareness, what are you just naturally present to without trying? Maybe you know the sounds. Thoughts, feelings, sight, color, breath. Noticing how effortlessly that's noticed. No big deal. You don't have to try, not to struggle. And then closing your eyes. And if that's not comfortable, then lowering your gaze. And again, just noticing what awareness is present to. Maybe the color and patterns behind your eyes. Notice what happens when we close the eyes, these other senses light up. Become more aware of sounds, hearing. Maybe you notice your posture, 
tension and achiness in the body. Notice your thoughts, or you notice your feelings and what's in the heart. Noticing how there's a kind of a, a waterfall of experience, sounds, sensations, feelings, thoughts, memories, plans, pulsing, breath tingling, vibration, just moment to moment, different experience, being known. Temperature, coolness, warmth. So in this more generalized open awareness, just present to the flow of experience and notice what calls your attention. It may change moment to moment. Thoughts, feelings, sounds, breath, sensations. pain, lightness, tension. Now for this first practice, I'm going to guide us a little more in directing the attention, directing awareness to more specific things. Beginning with just becoming more aware of the physical experience of the body. Sensing your feet, sensing your legs touching the ground or the chair, feeling that sense of contactfulness, 
pressure or weight or heaviness. general way being aware of the overall sensations of the body body touching the chair the cool air touching the skin hands touching warmth and coolness areas of achiness Relaxation. And becoming aware of the sensations of breathing. If you haven't already aware of how the breath breathes itself. This movement of inhaling, exhaling, expanding, contracting. Cool air entering the body. a softer air leaving the nostrils Relaxed way, receiving the sensations of breath. No need to make any special effort. No need to control the breath. Just notice as the inhale comes, sensations felt in the nostrils, cool, tickling in the throat. Perhaps an expansion in the chest, lifting of the rib cage, lifting, the expanding of the diaphragm, belly, and falling of the belly and the chest. And being present, all the sensations as you inhale as the exhale happens. And of course, other things will continue to be noticed. Sounds, other sensations. 
particularly thoughts, images, feelings. Right now our practice, since we're just selecting, preferencing awareness of breath, and we notice those other things, thoughts, feelings, and continue to resume and establish awareness of breathing, aware of sensations. Just how naturally that happens. Breath comes in, sensations are known. Breath goes out, sensations are known. A moment of stillness between breaths, stillness is known. helps, you may make a note, inhale, exhale, in, out, or just stay present to the naturalness of sensations ebbing and flowing. attention in this moment what is awareness aware of without judgment if you notice the attention has wandered spaced out gotten sleepy absorbed in thought and memories and plans 
simply begin again each moment, allowing each inhale, each exhale to be an opportunity to reestablish awareness, simply feeling and sensing the sensations as you receive each breath. Notice the beginning, middle, and end of each inhale. Beginning, middle, and end of each exhale.
the awareness present in this moment? If so, what is it aware of? Where does awareness go when not present to sitting, breathing? So noticing that without judgment and reestablishing awareness, receiving sensations of breath. and sensing all the sensations, the inhale, the exhale, pause between breaths.
last few minutes of the practice. How far the attention's wandered. Takes only a moment. Re-establish awareness here. Awake to sensations of breath. As you hear the sound of the bell, be aware of hearing, and then as you transition, be aware of moving, aware of opening your eyes, be aware of seeing, just notice how this continuity of awareness happens by itself. He's a little bit of a meditator, ex-poet laureate, and there's a poem called In the Moment, and he says, um, it was a day in June, no lawn and sky, and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment, but which moment? Not this one, or that one, or any of those that were scuttling by and didn't seem perfectly right for me. And besides, I was too knotted up with questions about the past and his tall, evasive sister, the future. And what were we going to serve the vegan twins that were coming for dinner that evening? And why was the driver of that lone pickup truck hurtling towards the railroad tracks? And so the priceless moments of the day were squandered one by one, or more likely a thousand at a time, with quandary and pointless interrogation. Sound like meditation? (laughs) Why did they design the building like this? And what is for lunch? And then when we get home, and what is mindfulness anyway? And wait till I tell my friends how cool Spirit Rock is. All right, breath, all right, breath. 
sensations, breathing. Wow, this is boring. Let me think about my holiday. Okay, that's really cool. I can't wait to go to Hawaii. That's really cool, but it's a bit far. I feel guilty about the carbon, you know, you know, and I could do offset, but that's, you know, I don't know if that works. Oh, breath, right. Okay, I can do this breath, breath. <laughs> For two seconds. And then... You know, on it goes. Oh, I should do yoga. It's really good for your breath. You know, yogic breath, deep breath. So, any questions of? I've been saying a lot of words about awareness, about naturalness of awareness, and we've done a little orienting to body and breath. Any questions thus far about just this simple? Practice, simple but not easy. Please, over here, if we can get a microphone, a mic runners, wherever you are. Gentleman here in the pink t-shirt, red t-shirt. Hi. Um, As someone that's not in... Close to you. Sorry, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Uh, As someone that's not in... I don't have an active sitting practice. Mm -hmm. Never really had the patience for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm always painfully aware of when I try to do this, it always becomes a test of endurance for me. The muscles that are active in keeping my back upright start Mm -hmm. to hurt. My legs start to get really uh, painful and then the the blood leaves my legs. I'm just like, just like screaming inside, like like everything is screaming to stop doing this. bad for my health and so uh just painfully aware of like the and the discomfort in the body the entire time yeah so is that like uh the endurance that you build up over time when you just do it over and over again or it could be (laughs) but uh uh don't sit on the floor (laughs) please Spare yourself. Do you sit on a chair at home? Most of the time. <laughs> okay. So sit in a chair. So get more comfortable. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's hard enough anyway, without this legs going numb and the back screaming and the you know. Yeah, so please any one of you that are on the floor that it's you know, I could I, I notice a lot of you squirming on the floor and um it was a squirming meditation, which is, you know, <laughs> you know, and you can be aware of discomfort and aches and pains, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to be present and relax when the body's uncomfortable. So please, please sit on a chair and get comfortable on the chair. Not too comfortable you fall asleep, but comfortable enough that your know, legs aren't hurting. There's nothing inherently better about sitting on a cushion on the floor. There's not, a, there's not, you know, it's comfortable for some people, and if it's comfortable for you, great. But if it's not, please sit in the chair, and then and then you then you then you work with your mind, because then then once the body's relaxed, then the mind goes on a holiday, and then you have to you're more working with your mind. But at least it's one less layer of pain, unnecessary pain. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. You know, and then you know, of course, for some people, sometimes, whatever posture we're in, it's uncomfortable because of the body, because of. Uh, injury because of chronic pain and then you work with that and I'll I'll say more about working with that but um, 
you know, then you bring mindfulness, awareness to that in the same way that you bring awareness to the breath, curious, kind, soft. Is there a question down here? became all too aware of the fact that I really just wanted to fall asleep. Mm. And did you? Like that was the whole, only thing I was thinking about was how tired I was the whole time. Mm. Um, and how the past like few weeks I just haven't felt like I've been resting very well. Mm-hmm. So I spent the entirety of that time basically just falling in and out of sleep. Mm-hmm. And trying to find some contentment with the fact that I kept doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also having the the lake falling asleep thing. Yeah. So you were aware that you were tired, aware that you were sleepy, aware that you were falling in and out of sleepiness and wakefulness. So that's a lot of awareness right there. So um, so we can be we can still be aware and be tired. We can be aware. We can still be sleepy and be aware. At some point, then we lose consciousness and we go to sleep. We take a nap and then we wake up. No, awareness is back. Great, carry on. <laughs> so that's fine. That's all fine. That's just you know being tired. Um, and you can do a few things to support not being so tired. One is get some sleep. Two, in the in the meditation, um, you can uh, keep your eyes open. You can sit more upright. Take some deeper breaths. And then the the last resort is you can stand up, and some people are doing that. You just stand, you just do a standing meditation where you are, and we'll do that in a minute. And that's much more wakeful, much more, much more vitality, and much more less likely to go to sleep because a bit more risky. <laughs> About five feet. Um, so do that next time, you know, or start standing because, and then just because, given you're tired today, then you're most likely it's going to happen again. So we'll do some movement practice now and we'll do some stuff outside and you might find that more invigorating, probably easier. And then when we come to the stillness practice, I would suggest standing and seeing what that's like. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's very common. We often, you know, we're we're underslept as a culture. We're overworked as a culture. And so one of the, you know, probably a third of the room when I lead these day longs, half, you know, a third of the room is wailing wall practice. <laughs> and the bell goes, where was I? It was really good meditation, but I can't remember anything. <laughs> but I feel really relaxed all of a sudden. So mostly we're trying to catch, you know, my meditation's a balance of energy, of not, not too much, we're manic, and not too relaxed, we're dull. It's a balance, and, you know, our energy goes up and down, in and out of that. And um, so the, the, the earlier you catch that sort of sleepy, dreamy, naughty, the more likely you'll, you'll circumvent the, the, the nap. And then sometimes nap, napping happens, and that's okay. You know? And then when you wake up from a nap in meditation, you're usually quite awake. And that's actually quite a bright time to sit. So, just human. Other questions about your practice, about awareness, about anything else, about the obstacles? Yes, please. 
So I'm aware we've had three male voices, so I'm also want to be, be representative of the gender in the room. So after you, I'd like to hear from other voices. Thank you. Um, so I have a, a problem when I sit and I try and focus on my breath alone. Or I mean, not alone, but focus mostly on my breath. I start worrying about if I'm breathing too much or not enough. And if I, like in here, I was able to focus on the sunlight on the back of my eyes and mm. sort of aware of the breath, but not specifically. Mm-hmm. And I, it seems to work better for me. But if I hit the breath, I can get almost anxiety and my heart yeah. rate increases. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, should I just keep doing it and doing it until that goes away? Or should, is it okay to focus on like my forehead or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. No, good, good awareness um, and good, good uh, modification. So not uncommon for many people that when we attend to the breath, um, we control it, we can get tight around it, it gets tense, and we get tense, and there's, it becomes this whole sort of slightly conflictual relationship. And the, the best thing to do is drop the breath, shift to something else. In this case, for you, it was light. It could be sounds. It could be feeling your whole body. Um, you know, so they're the common things, hearing, sensing the body, or light, color. And then when you take your attention from the breath, then the control mechanism relaxes, and then the breath sort of returns to its own rhythm because you're not meddling with it. And then, as you said, what you did is, if your primary attention's on something else, like light, sounds, whole body, and then you're peripherally aware of that movement in and out, then that's a way to begin to learn to use the breath as a support without getting tight around it. So, yeah, so. Thank you. Good, good work. Yes, please. Question, yes, in the front here, in, in the front here. Oh, thanks, Rick. I know that I was leaning forward and I would, I would kind of sit up again. Put your mic close to your mouth. I would lean forward yep. and then I would sit up again. And I'd realize, oh, I was thinking. And then i try to think, what am I thinking about? And I couldn't remember. So was I asleep? Or, <laughs> was, or was I really thinking and, and just not aware? Well, it sounds like you were aware of thinking, but you couldn't remember it. Yeah. And then you were in and out of... And I was slumping over. So. Dullness, right? <laughs> dullness, sleepiness. So a bit of both. Yeah. Wow. So that happens. And then you're aware of thinking about being aware. <laughs> right. And then you get aware of thinking... Right. And then and then you shift back to the immediacy of experience, which is what's happening now. Oh, I'm inhaling. Oh, I'm exhaling. Now I'm thinking. Okay. Now in that meditation, we're shifting attention over and over to the breath as one support for training the attention to abide more in the present. Okay. And it's not easy. All right. Simple, not easy. Please. When I started this about six years ago, I realized I had more chatter in my head than almost anyone. And I thought the purpose of this or what I would accomplish is I'd stop having as much chatter. But what I found is that thoughts come in and out of my brain and I'll never know the topic or when. 
And I think the brain is kind of hardwired that way. But whereas they used to capture my attention for hours, days, and so on, the longer I do this, the quicker I catch it and then try to go back to being present. But it's always a little bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, good awareness. So there's an assumption that... Um, <clears throat> The assumption that our minds will miraculously stop thinking if we meditate. <clears throat> and uh, my experience is over the years, they you know, definitely think a lot less, much less intrusive, much less interesting, and I don't get caught. But what, you, what the key point that you're pointing to is we become more aware of thinking, we become less interested in the thinking. It doesn't hook us as much, doesn't hook us as long, and um, we can... Be, be quite aware even with the presence of thinking and that being in the background and not being so compelling. So there's more space and freedom which I'll point to this afternoon. Yeah, good. Please. I think this is a related question um, but I think I have some attachment to um, the clarity that I've experienced um, through sitting and practice. And so I guess I'm curious if you can speak a little bit about the relationship to like wanting some clarity or actually recognizing the value um, of a clear thought or intuition or um, something that comes with the practice rather than immediately just jumping back to the breath and I guess for me, sort of um, exploring, like, is there is there a value in that thought, or is there something that um, is a deeper awareness, or um, I guess clarity is the word that comes up, rather than just sort of jumping back to the body based experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me just see. I'm, I'm best understanding the question. So your question is about. Um, <clears throat> The, the clarity of awareness or the clarity of knowing with different experience, whether it's a thought or something else, and the question value of, say, staying with something like a thought or an experience rather than jumping back to the breath as a way, as a practice. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, uh, there's a lot of value in that, and, and in, in mindfulness and vipassana practice generally that's the orientation you're present to what's here and we use things like breath and body and, and sounds and as supports for developing awareness in service of bringing that clarity to our experience so we, and then we develop understanding and insight so you know the it's it can be easy to misconstrue the instruction that the, the whole point is just to notice things and come back to the breath, notice things and come back to the breath. Right? The coming back to the breath is purely just two things. One, it, one it's, a, it's a training practice, it's a concentration practice. And in that style of practice, you're learning just to be one-pointedly focused on the breath. Other stuff comes up, you notice it, but you come back. And that's, that's, that is a concentration style of mindfulness which has its value and it's important and you know, good to develop that stability and that capacity to focus one-pointedly over time. But that's not the point of mindfulness practice. The point of mindfulness practice is to be aware 
to be awake, to be present, to be clear, to develop knowing, understanding, insight, and illumination about our experience, which that training of, say, being with the breath is a support for training the mind and deepening the, the clarity and the knowing. So, and so there becomes a choice point at times when to stay with something and when to go back to the breath. And usually if there's not enough mindfulness and concentration, when we stay with something, we, get, we just get lost in thinking about it and then we get lost. And so that becomes a sort of discernment point about how to be present to something when there's enough balance and clarity of mind so you can really be present and understand it without just getting lost in thought. So that's a, you know, an inner discernment that, want, that grows with the practice. Um, yeah. Please. Um, I have been reading your book, Awake in the Wild, uh-huh. and enjoying the contemplation of using the environment as a anchor. And um, today, and in the last couple of, of weeks, I've been contemplating the difficulty that I have with... Um, I've been a meditator for a few decades. The difficulty I have with the traditional practice of you know, focusing inward and focusing particularly on the breath. And when you asked us to focus awareness on what you're aware of, um, for me what struck me was that you as a teacher, I can feel the support of your voice. And again, I realize that's an external um, in the same way that nature was. And I was wondering if you could speak to... Um, to that a little bit because it was very useful in the practice for most of this meditation you were guiding it and it brought me to a place of ease and it brought me to a physical awareness that I'm not often able to access mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the question is about speaking to the, the supports yeah yeah. well supports are good You know, that's why I talk a lot <laughs> you know, in the meditation I'm mostly talking because, you know, in a typical group, by the time I say something next, most people are spaced out. Most people are lost in thought. It's like, oh, right, breath, breathing. It doesn't really matter what I say. I could say bananas and toffee ice cream. All oh, right, breath. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just reminders, right? And for most people, that's supportive. Some people don't like that. They'd rather have it silent, but that's okay. They can just hear my voice and ignore it. Um, so yeah, there's definite, that's why we guide, that's why we use other supports, you know, like for me, being outside is a support, sounds, sensations, there's more stimuli, there's more smell, there's more variability, and that, that helps kind of keep awareness bright, um, you know, guided meditations, again, is supportive, so we can it's almost like we relax the agency around what should I do, what should I focus on, and we're just sort of being led along. And it does allow a certain relaxed focus. Um, and then we have to internalize that. that that's, the, that's, the, you know, that's the training, as we internalize that, those voices, that teaching. Um, so we become at some point more self-reliant. Um, and it can be more work, especially if the mind's busy. Does that get to your question? Yeah. Okay. Please in the front here.
I find that the instructions to um, either count the breaths or sort of consciously notice your inhaling and your exhaling um, sometimes have the opposite effect for me. Uh-huh. Like my, I'm sort of able to do that and then simultaneously check out. Uh-huh. Um, and I was wondering if you could comment on what that is, mm. why that happens. <laughs> what happens is, um, yeah, you go on autopilot. And so you're using a support, right? Counting, naming, in, out, one, two, whatever you're using. And it's very easy to then just become more aware of the the label, detach from the actual experience of breathing, and then it becomes mental, and then you just check out. You go on autopilot, and you start thinking about something else. So, um, and we go on autopilot a lot. That's one of the modes that we kind of live in and we have to keep breaking that habit because that's a life habit, right? So we, we check out a lot, we go on autopilot a lot. So just noticing it and then, okay, come back. What's the immediate experience rather than the label or the counting? Right? Feeling, sensing. Right? Sometimes it's helpful to actually put your hand on your belly or your chest, right? That accentuates the sensation, the visceralness of actually what's happening. And then just you know using those supports like counting, breathe, uh, naming, when it's helpful, and then when they're not, drop them. Come back to the actual experience. Okay. All right. Two more questions, and then we'll we'll pause. Uh, I think you already talked to it a little bit, but there was a discussion in the meditation group that I was at about using guided meditations, you know, like insight meditation versus just sitting. And so I was just wondering what your view was about that. Is like one better than the other or it doesn't matter? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, everything has its place and um, has its pros and cons, right? So it's a guided meditation of which there are millions online now um, can be helpful. You know, it, one, it can, like if you, you know, maybe you go on insight timer or something and you put on a 20-minute meditation, usually we're more likely to sit for the whole time rather than just go, ah, it's kind of boring, I get up. Right? So it, 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 it also can brighten the mind, it can be a support, as was pointing to over here. Um, and we can learn things from different teachers about the same practice. You could listen to 30 different ways of doing mindfulness of breath and learn something from different teachers. Um... And uh, but we can also become overly reliant, so we don't actually listen to our own rhythm and our own guidance, and we want to do that over time. And the the other downside of the the guided is um, people get into sort of meditation shopping, and it's like, oh, what am I going to listen to today? Maybe I'll do gratitude, and tomorrow maybe I'll do sky gazing, and then next day that's you know. And it just becomes uh, sort of scattering or um, uh, we don't develop any kind of depth. It becomes very light. And, um, you know, when I first started doing, I have meditations on Insight Timer and when I first started doing them for them, you know, they had, I don't know, not many people and not many meditations. Now they have 30,000 meditations. It's like, that's just ridiculous, to be honest. It's like, it's just overwhelming, confusing, and um, I don't think it's so helpful. It's helpful to, you know, you know, it's helpful to have 
you know, few practices, but to go particularly one deeply with one or two. Otherwise, it just becomes we just do things superficially, and they don't have much depth. That's my take. So, so you know, good and and also both both are good. Make sure you're practicing alone, so you're developing your own guidance, wisdom. Yeah, last question over here. Then we'll do some shift practices. Um, I'm wondering if you could comment on the length of time of meditating, speaking to depth. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're feeling on just like little micro meditations, maybe throughout the day versus sitting for, I'm not sure how long that was that we just sat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I, seemed like a long time. <laughs> I was, I was like doing good for about the first, I'd say the last t- five minutes. I was like, please let this be over, <laughs> um, which probably speaks that perhaps that might be where my work lies. Yeah. But I'm more inclined to do short micro meditations. Right. But I don't. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, anything is better than nothing, and um, you know, one minute is better than nothing, and. Uh, Length isn't necessarily always better, but a certain amount is is good. So and it grows and it changes and it's different for different people. Right? So when I'm on retreat, I like to sit a long time, like one or two hours. It's just a nice rhythm. But in my daily life, I'll sit for half an hour. But I'm also happy to sit for five minutes if that's all that there is, because I'm you know on a red eye flight somewhere. You know. Um. So. Um, you know, so in the beginning, generally we start smaller length of time, and we and we build the muscle just like we build the muscle if we learn to hike or learn to run or learn to swim. Right? We we can have more capacity over time. So the value of a certain period of time, like I would say at least twenty minutes, twenty to forty-five minutes, when you're sitting for that, you know, longer than twenty minutes, say. There's a certain settling that happens, right? It usually takes us five or ten minutes just to settle down. Our mind's busy, our life's busy, so it takes a while just to arrive, right? So the longer that we sit there, then the longer that we actually get to have a little more depth, right? So that's the value with the longer, right? Um, so, and it's also very valuable to take, you know, you're in the middle of a busy day at work and maybe you have an office, you can close the door and you just, you know, feel your breath for a minute or two minutes. Or you drive home from work and before you get out and go home and see the family, kids, whatever, you just breathe for a minute, two minutes, five minutes. Or you're on the bus, you take some time to breathe. Right, so all those micro practices, again, I'll talk about that towards the end. And there's something very valuable about the the, the sitting meditation that's extended is like a laboratory for the mind to really deepen and nurture these qualities of awareness, mindfulness, love, etc. So, so both and all. And and then as as and if you're newer to meditation, just you know, see what it's like to keep extending. You know, a minute here, five minutes here, ten minutes there. All right, so let's, um, we're going to shift gears. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're going to do a little movement practice in here, and then we're going to move outside, and then we'll come back for some sitting before lunch. So what I'm going to invite you to do is um, 
everybody stand uh, behind the chairs. So just spread out <coughs> in the room. And um, just begin walking around the room, just milling around the room. So there's a lot of people, but there's a lot of space. So uh, walk into the space. So change direction, turn left, turn right, turn around, walk slow, walk fast, walk whatever pace suits you. Walk in and out of the chairs. And again, coming back to this idea of the naturalness of awareness. So, if I gave you that instruction, don't be aware. Don't be aware as you walk. It's a little hard because you're going to bump into people. But even if you try not to be aware, what happens? You notice things. So in this this practice, this naturalness of awareness, just notice what's your what's what's calling your attention. What are you aware of as you walk around, right? This is like walking, maybe you're downtown San Francisco or downtown Oakland. And you're walking around. What, What are you aware of? Maybe your attention goes to all the people that you're passing shapes and colors and maybe your attention is more inward and you're noticing your footsteps or your breath or your thoughts or your feelings the light in the room or the space in the room. Maybe you notice that you're hiding out in the corners away from everybody or you're right in the thick of it because you like being around people. So again, I'm pointing to this, this principle of awareness happening by itself and you're naturally present to something. There's only six things happening. Seeing, hearing, sensing, smelling, tasting, and thinking. Everything else is derivation of those. So mindfulness is being aware of what's happening as it's happening. 
So what's happening in this moment? What are you aware of? So I'm just going to guide your attention a little bit just to sort of see what you're noticing. Seeing. Be aware of seeing. What's being seen. So the attention is often to what's being seen. But can you be mindful of the process of seeing itself? How seeing is happening. Seeing images, colors, people, light, form, shape. Be aware of hearing. Hearing, it's easy to sense the naturalness of awareness. We're hearing sounds, footsteps, bones creaking. Air conditioning, hearing, and having the awareness, having the attention being more closer to awareness than what's being heard. Hearing and aware of hearing, seeing, hearing, sensing. Being aware of sensing, sensing touching, touching your feet touching the ground, your skin touching clothing. Your body moving, your chest expanding, contracting as you breathe. Sensing, touching, warmth, coolness. Seeing, hearing, sensing, smelling, occasionally aware of smells as you inhale. Tasting, occasionally aware of the sensations in the mouth. And aware of thinking. Have thoughts about people in the room. Thoughts about yourself. Thinking, feeling. Times aware of what you're feeling. Interest, boredom, curiosity. Notice how perhaps it doesn't take much effort to be aware. Awareness is always aware of something. And this, in this practice, open, we're, we're practicing a quality of open awareness where you're just present to the flow of experience. Sometimes sensing, touching, sometimes aware of seeing, of hearing. Sometimes the whole lot together. And then notice when you check out, you've probably been 
way more present in the last 10 minutes walking around than you were in the meditation. It may not feel as quiet or as still as the sitting, but it's awareness, being aware. Not difficult, natural. So we're going to continue this practice, but we're going to, for those who wish, you can will, we're willing to just keep doing this in here, but we're also going to take this practice outside. So you're going to walk into the foyer. You might, you don't need your shoes or socks necessarily. You can walk on the patio outside. It's warm. Or you can put your shoes on. Be aware of putting your shoes on. Or maybe aware of going to the bathroom. Aware of drinking some water, and then you go outside and be aware of the sunlight and the smells and the light and the freshness, and notice how being outside is a support or not for awareness. And you won't hear my voice, and you will ring a bell in. Um, 10 or 15 minutes to gather you back into the hall. So relaxed awareness, present moment to moment of what you're noticing inside, outside, moving, stillness, just like that.
Oh, welcome back. Curious to hear a little response of how it was to be aware, walking, milling, and walking inside, walking outside. Just what you noticed in that flow of experience. Right? So in, often in this tradition we walk up and down, walk up and down quietly, slowly, concentratedly, and that's its own form. Beautiful, deep, quiet, and this was more free from and inviting a little more sort of natural, relaxed. So, um, I usually do a little survey. So, for how many people was it easier to be present walking than sitting? So, how many people was it easier to be mindful sitting than walking? How many people was it easier to be more mindfully aware walking? Okay, no surprises. More people walking. Okay, so what did you notice? Questions, observations about the walking indoors, outdoors? One was guided, one wasn't. What did you notice? Was that a hand? Your question. So one here, one here. Well, I noticed as I'm walking, I'm letting go of stuff that I would normally get into sitting, like either the breath or am I going to go to sleep? Am I going to do something or other? But walking, I'm just I'm just walking mm-hmm. and being in the environment. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Anything will take me out of my head, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's something about the physicality that helps bring us more, right? That's, that's the embodied awareness, right? Brings us more into the physical present. Yeah, great. My question is, uh, is the walking and sitting meditation, the purpose is different. One's more accessible. Like a... Um, I don't know, they just don't seem like, they seem like two totally different things mm-hmm. with two totally different purposes, and I'm wondering if that's right. Mm. Well, they're, they're similar and different. So they're sim- different in that one's still, one's moving, one's, one's eyes closed, one's eyes open. Um, but the intention is the same, which is being aware, being present being present in that last minute. You might find more similarity between the walking we just did and the meditation we're just going to do now, but the intention is the same. The intention of the whole day is the same. Be aware. Notice the naturalness of awareness. Notice what you're present to. Notice when you vacate somewhere and continuing to reestablish awareness, mindfulness here. So... They seem very, they have very different feeling qualities, right? Sitting is very still, it's quiet, or not, but, you know, physically. Walking's moving, there's people, it's bustly, and all of that. But the intention's the same. Can I be aware? The point is to be aware in all moments. Sitting, walking, standing, lying down, activities, stillness, movement, etc. So, please. 
I found the walking in the room very distracting. But as soon as I got outside, then I could look at the beauty of the trees. I could, I could sense the wind. So there was a very different quality walking inside and walking outside. Mm-hmm. And inside, my mind seemed to be going really fast. Like I'd look at people and, oh, I wonder what they're like or what's happening or, oh, am I going to run into somebody? Mm-hmm. Where outside it was just this connection to the air and the mm-hmm. trees and mm-hmm. my feet. Yeah. So, so clearly there's a difference. One was more people-oriented busier in a certain way. One was outside, more self-guided, more more presence of nature than people. One for you was more pleasant than the other. I would challenge you that it was that what was happening here was distracting. It was just other experience being known. Right? So you can call it distraction, but distraction from what? So what was happening is you were walking, milling, looking at people, thinking, you know, thinking about whether you're going to bump into people, right? But that's all from the perspective of awareness. It's just, it's all the same. Whether it's a thought or a judgment or reaction or a perception or a joy or a difficulty or pleasure or pain. It's just phenomena. It's just experience that we have preferences usually for one versus something else. Preferences are outside, inside, movement versus stillness, or whatever it is. Right? So um, I'm going to invite you to drop the idea of distraction and hold it from the perspective of just this is what's happening. So in here I'm, think, I'm milling and I'm thinking about people. Or I might be judging them or being self-conscious or wanting to be outside. But it's all, that's all just things to know and perceive. Okay. Please. Along those lines, I also felt myself really enjoying the experience being outside and mm-hmm. compared to inside. And I guess I wonder in your practice with the essence of what you were just talking about, of trying to accept that experience, whether it's important to include in your practice both both things you prefer and things you don't, meaning to be able to deal with the pain that comes in life, the difficult emotions that we can't avoid, that it's an I guess what I'm wondering is what you might recommend in terms of the variety of your practice so you don't find yourself just doing the practices you find more relaxing and calming. Mm-hmm. Wondering your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it, <clears throat> uh, I've got a lot of thoughts on that and it, it's also it varies depending on specifics and intention and um, it, it, couple of principles that you're pointing to. One is <clears throat> um, the more pleasurable your practice is, the more you'll do it. Follow your joy. Right? That's, one, that's one perspective. It's not the only perspective. If it's enjoyable, we're going to do it. You know, if we enjoy sitting, and when it's 5.30 in a cold winter's morning, 
will be like, oh, it's cold, I like being in bed, but I like my sitting, I'm going to do it. I will get up. If it's like, if we hate sitting, then forget it. <laughs> the alarm, you know, snooze, right? So in the same way that when you take your meditation seat, and maybe you're quite familiar with your posture and the meditation, and, and, it, and it has a lot of mostly pleasant connotations and, and, and history, and, and so you take your seat and say, oh, oh, it's really nice to just have this 5, 10, 30 minutes of just stillness doing nothing. Oh, sweet, I'm just going to... And then you let yourself notice and savor the pleasure of that. That's engaging. And then you get interested because we, we're interested in pleasure. right? The Buddha, you could say, was the ultimate pleasure seeker. Not in fleeting pleasure, pleasure that doesn't satisfy, but actually what really brings meaningful happiness. And so, um, yeah, so in that, you know, so like I like, you know, I'm a, I'm a nature lover. I sit outside because I enjoy that. It's more pleasurable for me than sitting outside. So I sit outside. But of course, there's plenty of times I'm indoors. So then I work with that too. So for sure, and the same with practices, you know, what lights you up? If loving kindness practice lights up, do loving kindness. If mindfulness, open awareness, whatever, mantra, you know, let yourself do that. And, as you're pointing to, there's also a place for doing practices that stretch us, that challenge us, that are harder, that make us work, right? Because there's, there's also a place for growing and, you know, stretching, and whether it's working with pain or working with discomfort or working with who knows what, concentration. So both are important. But definitely be mindful of what is conducive for your practice. Just like, you know, your posture. Find the right posture. Get the, you know, I have this, 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 which I'm happy to have just found again because I lost it. This bench was handmade for me according to my specifications. So it's very pleasant to sit on because why not? Now, why be uncomfortable? If you can be comfortable. If you can't be uncomfortable, then you practice with that. Right? So um, same with if you're, if you're like, if you're not a morning person, and you're trying to meditate in the morning, and you're like, oh, I hate this, I hate the mornings, <laughs> then meditate at lunchtime or the evening, like make it conducive, you know, so make it easier, because it's hard, it's hard to practice, and it's hard to commit to practice, hard to practice daily. Do it in a way that's, you know, sit with, if you like sitting with others, sit with us. If it's guided meditation, use a guided meditation. Like, do what supports you. If you love the sound of Jack's voice or Tara Brock's voice, Listen to the guided meditations. If it's soothing, wonderful. Right? Don't let don't let be the only thing, but yeah, be supportive. You know? yeah. And and also in let yourself, if it is joyful, pleasurable, delightful, then let yourself feel the pleasure and delight. Right? And Buddhist teaching talk about not getting attached to pleasant experience, but also we can take time to appreciate it. Right? Life is hard and stressful. When there's moments of pleasure and joy savor it. You know, times meditation is quite blissful. When I first started meditating, for whatever reason, the first few years was very blissful. And I blissed out. And quite know what I was doing, but it was very pleasurable. It really got my attention. You know, it was a life, it became a lifelong sort of journey. So it has its place. Yeah. Thank you for that. Anything else about the milling? I'm curious how the milling was in here since I was guiding you. And yes, there's the back over there. And then over here.
thank you so much for all these wonderful meditations. They're really helpful. I identify myself as a pretty anxious person, very mm-hmm. much active in my head, live mm-hmm. in my head, work in my head. Mm-hmm. And I found that when we were sitting, hearing your voice, which was very soothing, I kept experiencing images. They weren't mm-hmm. negative images. They were like feeling the sun on my face and feeling the warmth. And I like to do a lot of loving kindness, compassionate mm-hmm. meditations. And so that was very soothing, really allowed me to get connected. So I'm wondering if you could say more for people that are very active, very anxious by nature, like how, how to kind of calm the spirit down when one is on the go mm. all the time. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Um, I listen to music. Music mm-hmm. is my therapy. Mm-hmm. So if I need to calm down listening to spa music, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I listen to spa music on my way home. Spotify playlist. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I like instrumental because uh-huh. I have, yeah, I'm a soothing. therapist, so I have words coming at me all the time. Mm-hmm. So I want to have musical notes coming at me mm-hmm. so they can kind of calm. Yeah. Yeah. The, get yeah. the end. Yeah. No, I think it's a good question because we're living in anxious times. You know, there's, there's a, I'd say, you know, that, well, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's statistically anxiety and depression are, are skyrocketing, particularly anxiety because of the culture, the speed, the technology, the social media, blah, 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 stress in life. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's essential that we learn how to regulate and balance and calm and soothe all of that. And as you say, music is one. Soothing music can be one. Um, what's important is it's just, you know, this is where the awareness comes in. What works for me, right? What, and we just track that. For some of us, it's nature, right? Nature is incredibly grounding, resourcing, uh, heart-opening for many people, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And it's, I think, you know, and doctors are prescribing it now, time in nature, in Scotland and Korea, and, you know, it's, it's a prescription for anxiety, Go outside and spend you know an hour a day in nature. That will help calm your nervous system. You know, be by the beach, be in the woods. There's a lot of beauty around here. Uh, meditation can be not for everyone. Um, you know, and again, it's, it's, I mean, there's a whole plethora of things. Um, a lot of it is shifting our attention from that which is the hamster wheel of anxiety, which is worry, future planning, catastrophe thinking listening to the inner critic, doing a lot of negative comparison, particularly through social media, um, monitoring your digital use, because that generally raises the the, the stress in the system. Monitoring the media, the news that one takes in, because that can be anxiety-provoking, because mostly that's what's what's reported. so, um, yeah, there's a whole boast of things. Animals, you know. Action eats anxiety, is a phrase that Angela Zarin used to say. So engaging, you know, moving the body, doing that which you love, gardening, you know, social connection. And there's all kinds of meditations, you know, when you're meditating, feel the lower half of your body. Feeling the exhale, slowing down the exhale, doing loving kindness as you're doing, you know, that can be soothing to the anxious nervous system. Um, and then, of course, the, 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 the direct practice of mindfulness, of meeting 
you know, holding yourself with a kind attention when you're anxious. And, 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 and usually with, when we're feeling anxious in the body, shifting the attention away from it, acknowledging it, oh, I'm really anxious. Where's not, where am I, where's, what's, an, what's not anxious right now? Actually, my feet feel pretty calm and grounded, connected to the ground. Oh, the, the sounds around me, the wind doesn't feel anxious. The room feels pretty still. Actually, my breath at times is calming. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? So orienting to that which is not anxious. Right? And there's a lot that's not anxious, right? particularly in the natural world. So we're, we're shifting the attention to balancing, grounding, calming, soothing, regulating a lot. Okay, thanks. Okay, last comment over here. Um, hi. So there's awareness, and then there's awareness of something. Yes. And generally, you know, in sitting practice, you're you're aware of thoughts. Yes. And and it's easier because you've kind of shut off your senses and you're kind of dealing with thoughts. During walking practice, there's now you know inner. Um, thoughts, uh, awareness of thoughts coming up, as well as objects mm-hmm. which your senses are perceiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the commentary um, as things come into you know your perception is higher as I'm walking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it easier to do the sitting practice as opposed to being outside. But of course, you know the question really is, you know, how do you then transfer? You know uh, your practice to your daily life because again, practice for me is kind of being aware um, of awareness, not of of the object. Mm-hmm. So, how do you transfer that um, as you're you know, doing, you know, as you're acting externally? Because there are things coming which you need to deal with, and you know mm-hmm. you have a inner commentary as- associated with that. So, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, you, you get mm-hmm. the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, attention and awareness is very uh, fluid and malleable and has tremendous capacity to go out, in, hold both, and you know, do all the things you were talking about. And um, so we're not trying to just have awareness do one thing. It, it, it's a sort of multi-dimensional capacity. So, for example, um, you know, when your when your attention is needed, like you're talking to a child, or you're working on a document on the computer, or you're driving, or you're eating your lunch, right, your attention is in that experience, right? and mostly attending to that experience: the person, the document, uh, traffic. Um, but there are many times, and, and, and life demands that a lot, of, a lot of the time. Life is demanding and it requires our attention. Someone's talking to you and they're in your face and you've got to give them attention. You're like, wait a minute, I'm just going to be aware of awareness. No, I want to talk to you and I want an answer now. Right? Who cares about your awareness? <laughs> We're on a deadline here. But there are many times where life is not so impinging, demanding, and then in those moments of pause or quiet, like in meditation or you're resting or you're just waiting for something or you're sitting quietly having a cup of tea, then you might, <clears throat> in those moments, you might attune to, oh, what is the quality of knowing right now? What is the quality of awareness when I'm not, <clears throat> when it's not being 
pulled out by experience and stimuli. <clears throat> and so there's a sort of, becomes a gentle back and forth. You're mostly aware of experience and at times you're aware of that which is knowing experience. Right? And in meditation and retreat, when there's nothing much going on, the emphasis can really be there a lot. In life, it's more pulled out to experience. And that's fine. It's just what's happening. Over time, you can become more grounded in the, that, the awareness that's knowing. And no matter how much experience is going on, it doesn't pull you out in a certain way. But don't make that a position. Just have it be very fluid. At times, you're noticing experience. At times, you're noticing the awareness that's knowing the experience. So just be aware of the, the, um, the variability of that. Right? And then if, if that's your interest to know awareness, abide more in awareness, then turn your attention. The, the phrase that one of my Dzogchen teachers used was short moments many times. Short moments many times. Not how can I be aware of awareness all day. No, forget it. But maybe for two seconds. Maybe a moment. You know, As I say, there's lots of moments of pause in the day. In a conversation, you know, where where there's just I mean, you're sitting at a stoplight, you know, there's a break between meetings. You're sitting on the toilet. You're lying in bed at three in the morning. You're drinking your coffee. And you just pause. Oh, right. There's there's experience. There's smelling the coffee, and there's the awareness that's knowing this. Right. So it's just that subtle turning the attention back over and over. And we'll do some more of that today. I'm going to hold on your question. You can ask me at lunch or you can bring it up later. Uh, I want to just do one more practice before we go for lunch. So there's a lovely poem from Rumi that um, is often quoted um, about the guest house being human, a guest house. Every morning in your arrival, some unexpected visitor that comes, uh, some a momentary experience that comes as an unexpected visitor, welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight, the joy, the shame, the meanness. Um, Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. So I'm reading this poem because it's pointing to welcoming all experience. So in the last meditation, we were orienting awareness to breath, to preferencing the breath as as an object to focus on as a way to support concentration. It's only one small facet of mindfulness practice. So given what we've just done with the walking, I want to continue that spirit in the walking. So in the walking, we were just being present to the flow of experience. We were noticing people, sounds, sensations, breath, thoughts, judgments, nature, joy, feeling, smelling, sensing, breathing, touching, noticing, thinking, judging. That's the flow of experience. That's just life, moment to moment. And then sometimes something grabs our attention and we get caught there for a little bit and then we come back, oh, and the birds are singing and I'm thinking and I'm hungry and I'm tired and I'm noticing and I'm walking and I'm thinking and I'm breathing. And that's just... So we can bring that same quality of awareness in, in this practice. It's often called choiceless awareness or open awareness or in 
open monitoring, and where we're just simply present to the flow of experience, right? not just not fixating on one particular thing. And so I'll just guide us in that because it's that's the it's really the kind of it's really how we live mostly. We just don't notice that that's what's happening in our life. And you're walking down the high street. You're you're in this quality of open awareness. You're walking. You're probably a little bit aware of your steps and where you're walking, and you're also thinking about your destination, but you're also noticing the people on the street, and it's sunny, and there's a store over there, and you're remembering I need to go get shampoo at lunch, and you're walking, and you're feeling, and your thought arises about your kids, and then you feel some love, and you notice a person, and then you see the traffic light, and then you smell because you pass a coffee shop, and it's lovely, and you notice your feet, and then there's a puddle, and you're walking around it, and you're thinking, right, that's, that's open, that's just a flow of experience that we're present to. We don't notice. That's, we just call that being human. It's just, just ordinary life, just noticing stuff. And so in the meditation, we're noticing the same flow of experience. So let's uh, put our notebooks down and whatever you've got in your hands and we'll just sit. We'll do a shorter sit. I'm aware it's um, lunchtime, so you might also be aware of tummy rumbling and uh, low blood sugar or feeling hungry or thinking about your food or whatever. So, again, just finding, please sit in a chair if sitting on the floor is uncomfortable. <laughs> Especially you. <laughs> you got two cushions, that helps. Okay, all right. One more time. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so just closing your eyes and And just being curious, what what calls the attention? What are you aware of in this moment? Noticing changing nature of experience. No two moments the same. What are you aware of in this moment? And then this moment. And this moment. In this moment. Opening your awareness to hearing, to sounds. Have the sounds coming and going, and know when a sound arises, how effortlessly it's noticed in awareness. The 
the silence between sounds. Same receptive, open quality of awareness, aware of the field of sensations of the body, tingling, touching, vibrating, lightness, heaviness, coolness, warmth, pressure, weight. Noticing how sensations arise and also felt, sensed and experienced quite effortlessly in awareness. Experience of touch, heaviness, coolness. sensations of the breath that ebb and flow, coolness of the inhale, expansion and contraction of the chest and diaphragm. sounds coming and going, sensations ebbing and flowing, breath moving in and out. We have thoughts, images, memories, plans flickering in the mind. And also be known in awareness, no need to get lost in them, simply knowing, planning, thinking, remembering, judging.
of the heart at times, a movement of emotion, feeling, joy, calm, sadness, anxiety, fear, peace, feeling and sensing how emotions are felt in the body, coming and going and known in awareness. in awareness, present to the flow of experience, sounds, sensations, breath, feeling, thoughts, coming and going, and known in awareness, effortless, naturally known. When the attention gets pulled into a particular thought train and you lose awareness and you wake up in the middle of the thought, the story, notice how awareness reestablishes itself and again present to the flow of experience, moment by moment.
is aware, awareness aware of in this moment. few minutes of the practice is noticing moment to moment what's present, noticing the changing field of experience, what arises, what is known in awareness, moment by moment by moment by moment.
Buddha. How happy she is, for she seeks, for she sees that wakefulness is life. How happy she is following the path of the awakened. With great perseverance she meditates, seeking freedom and happiness. of sounds, awareness of movement, awareness of eyes opening and then being aware of what's being seen. And so just because the formal meditation's over, awareness from the perspective of awareness, just more sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, thoughts, perceptions, feelings, coming and going. So we're going to have lunch in a minute. It's the same thing. It's the same practice. Different sights, sounds, smells, perceptions, feelings, thoughts, moods, emotions, movement, activity, stillness, nature, silence. Can we stay present in awareness as experience happens? Life is a garden, not a road. We enter and exit through the same gate. Wondering where we go matters less than what we notice. So whether you sit inside or outside, or up the hill, or down the hill, or wherever you like for your lunch, doesn't matter. This table's outside here in the foyer. You can sit outside. You can take your, there's a nice little meadow down by the parking lot, there's benches, and you can take your food up the hill. So um, eating is a lovely place to continue practicing being aware, because hopefully you brought food that you like, and so it, extends, it, it can enhance the experience of pleasure, of joy, of delight. Oh, just taking a moment to hold an apple or whatever, some fruit or whatever it is you have, like, wow. Just appreciating what, both the beauty of whatever you're eating, you know, nature is amazing that it has this abundance of, and also what it took for this food to get here. You know, your sandwich took 14 billion years of evolution in the universe to create stardust and into a cheese sandwich. It's that, it's true. So, bringing awareness, noticing, smelling, Sensing, touching, enjoying, um, and uh, tasting, swallowing, right? That's all just happening in awareness. Um, notice if you notice what habits, you, we have a lot of habits around food. We often rush, or we check out, or we multitask, we get our phone out. I highly, well, the phones don't really work here, so I highly recommend you, this is a digital free day. Um, I encourage you not to get on your phones at lunchtime. We're going to have a silent lunch. And um, so take time. There's nothing to rush to. We generally rush food. What's it like to just slowly eat mindfully? Generally, if we're mindful and we eat slower, we eat less because we're actually registering that we're eating as opposed to just checking out, doing something else. Um, Just know that the more you eat at lunch, 
the more sleepy you might be this afternoon. So, you know, that great big super sub foot long, whatever. <laughs> you don't want to eat the whole thing. Um, so, and then after lunch, um, this room is in silence. Or the whole building's in silence. Um, you're welcome to rest. You're welcome to come in here and rest. Either continue meditating or you can take a lie down on these cushions. Um, or outside on the bench. Oh, some of you need, might prefer rest. Some of you need to be more active. There's beautiful hiking here. There's some trails. There's one trail just up the road to the right. It's up to the solar panels and up. And there's a trail that goes as you walk down here just before the road turns left. There's another trail that goes up. Uh, there's a trail that goes uh, from, the, from the bottom end of this grassy meadow. Uh, don't walk beyond the gate because there's a silent retreat happening there. But uh, you know, enjoy the land. It's a beautiful place to be present, to be aware. And then we'll come back. What's the time? So we'll um, come back at um, 10 after 2. So if we can have a bell at 2. Um, and I'm going to leave you with a poem from Mary Oliver. about. It's called Mindful. And it's about the joy that arises when we're present. She says, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. That's a phone. (laughs) It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world with joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, but of the ordinary, the common, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how could you but grow wise with teachings as these, the untrimmable light of the world, the ocean shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. So lots of opportunities for joy. The main ingredient we need is to be present, to be aware. And then we have the chance to be kindled with joy. So enjoy your lunch. Enjoy nature here. Enjoy the silence. Be present to the flow of experience. And we'll see you at uh, 10 after 2. Thanks.
back. Hope you had a good lunch and rest and walk or whatever you choose to do, chose to do. Um, I hope you were swimming in awareness as you did your activities or not, or most likely went in and out of awareness or in and out of being mindful and like to share or ask about in terms of your time at lunch, just that more unstructured uh, awareness uh, practice, eating, meandering, I saw a lot of you walking up and down the hill. Did you notice you had some food? (laughs) Did you bring a little more awareness to it? Did it increase the joy or the pleasure or appreciation? Good. Okay, so we'll move on. So <clears throat> we've explored a few different facets of awareness, right? The sort of the Unawareness, awareness, uh, focused awareness, where we tend to a certain experience, and also a certain embodied awareness, breath, body. And then um, we looked at movement, moving awareness, awareness of movement, walking, milling, indoors, outdoors. And then before lunch, looked at more open awareness, just being present to the flow of experience. These are all, these are not different practices, although they are different practices, but they're really just facets of awareness and awareness practice, right? Applied to different things. Breath, body, moving, walking, the totality of experience, eating. So... This afternoon, I'd like to just explore uh, insightful awareness and uh, loving awareness. So I'm making all these terms up. I've actually really enjoyed making these terms up. In fact, I thought, oh, this is a really good book idea. I don't want to write another book, but I could. Um, bodied awareness, moving awareness, open awareness, active awareness, insightful awareness, loving awareness, Engaged awareness, relational awareness, non-doing awareness, and awake awareness. Pretty. That's that's the book outline right there. Don't steal it. (laughs) Trademark. (laughs) Okay. So. Insightful awareness. So, um, so my last book that just came out this year, uh, "From Suffering to Peace: The True Promise of Mindfulness," 
I wrote that book in in response to the growing mindfulness movement, which is exploding and and and, and delivering mindfulness programs, you know, in just you know in massive ways in in, in across the world, um, in in all kinds of settings, in healthcare and education and business and government and sports and mental health and addiction and you name it. It's just, you know, permeating society in beautiful ways. From kindergarten, university. Um, and um, but I had some concern about that uh, you know, as anything grows as quickly as that like as as that has and, and, and been popularized and picked up by the media and, and certain amount of hype that's built around it and it's the cure for everything it's a new cure for everything and, and I was concerned about the the, the depth and the, the original context for mindfulness practice which is it's a path it's a, it's a practice and a quality and a path that's really uh, oriented towards freedom liberation from suffering understanding the human condition freeing ourselves from pain, understanding our true nature. And so I understand mindfulness in the context of what the Buddha was teaching in, that it was a path uh, that's specifically designed to develop insight, understanding into the human condition, into how we suffer, how we get caught in unnecessary painful reactivity and how we can free ourselves from that. That's the, that's the sort of the trajectory of the path. So I wrote a book sort of pointing to that um, from suffering to peace. And so um, so I'd like us to explore how awareness, mindful awareness, reveals our experience, our nature, ways that we suffer, ways that we find peace and non-reactivity or equanimity in relationship to experience. So cartoon for you. So there's a person meditating in the woods and um, and they look a little impatient and furrowed brow as we can look sometimes in meditation and, and she's saying to herself, come on, I almost had it. Come on, peace of mind. I didn't have a freaking day. Is that it? Is that peace of mind? Is that it? how we can be sometimes in meditation. Come on, shut up thoughts. Just be quiet. I want a peace. Come on. Five minutes before I go to work. Come on. (laughs) We're just like getting ourselves in nuts. So um, that's not the practice. (laughs) So, and I'm sure you've seen for yourself in meditation, cultivating mindfulness, awareness, that as we do that, as that grows, we start to see more clearly, right? Vipassana means seeing clearly. Having insight, understanding ourselves, understanding the mind, understanding all kinds of things. Like, you know, the first insight is, oh my goodness, I, have no idea. I had no idea how much I think, how much I'm lost in thought how distorted and accurate my inner critic is, how judgmental I am of other people, how I enjoy judging other people, 
or, you know, and just the insights. There's a lot of really good insights from very simple insights, like um, how we, you know, we all experience physical pain and maybe we've experienced some physical pain in the in the meditation, and maybe our back starts twinging, our shoulders ache, or our knees cramp up, or, and instead of just noticing that with awareness and kindness, we go, oh God, and we tighten up, and we contract, and we cringe, and we resist, and we hate, and we, res- you know, and then we go, and then we see, well, that really makes it worse. You know, that's my knee-jerk reaction, is to shrink from pain, because it's painful, but I notice when I do that, that it, it's, it, makes, it makes more tension. It makes it harder to be with. Oh, what if I just release the tension or the reaction, soften? Oh, it doesn't make the pain go away, but it actually gives me a little more capacity to hold it, to be with it, to notice it. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good metaphor for life. The more I react, contract, resist, hate, fear, judge, reject, usually the more I compound the suffering. Suffering equals pain times resistance, so the equation goes. So we get to see how we, uh, you know, how we contract, how we react. It's a piece of writing from um, uh, Francoise Fenelon, an archbishop from the, I think, 16th century. <clears throat> and he's pointing to uh, the metaphor of light being a metaphor for awareness. And he says, as light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our mind and heart a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings. We never could have believed that we'd harbored such things and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. However, we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. While our faults diminish, the light by which we see them grows. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive the malady when the cure begins. We only perceive the problem, difficulty, pain, when the cure begins. Right? So that awareness is the beginning. Right? Where awareness reveals experience, stuff, reactivity unnecessary psychological, emotional, mental suffering. And, and when we see that, we, we first we go, oh, look at that, I'm really making life worse for myself and others, and we might get a little disheartened, and then we go, oh, but that's good, because if I see it, then I have a chance of understanding why I do that, and a chance of and a possibility of releasing it, of not being so caught up in that. And these, you know, these, these, these habits, these patterns of reactivity, resistance, which really the Buddha talked about is really the, one of the fundamental causes of our inner suffering. Right? There's plenty of causes of outer suffering, but the inner suffering, we, we, we torment ourselves by often making our lives worse. Right? Simple example, we have a little, uh, so good example, personal example. So um, I'm about to go trekking for two weeks in Nepal, high altitude trek. And um, uh, on Sunday, tomorrow, that's right, tomorrow, okay, but a pack, okay, good, it's really close. Um, okay, class is over. <laughs> I just unpacked my very dusty car, so it's going to be packed again. 
Um, completely lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, so um, so an example of how we compound our suffering. So I'm going trekking, need to be in shape. I'm not, but it's okay, I'll survive. And uh, it just so happens, as these things do, my, I'm getting knee pain. But I never have knee pain. I'm like, great, knee pain. I you know, was picturing myself being stretched off the mountain, a helicopter, medivac, you know. I'm like, wait a minute, Mark. There's a little twinge in your knee. <laughs> There's a little sensitivity when I walk up the stairs. I think I'll survive. I think, <laughs> I think I'll be okay. I'll take some ibuprofen and a knee, and a knee support. It doesn't need to be a catastrophe. Right? I'm not going to get wheeled out of anywhere. Right? Hopefully. <laughs> Well, not for that reason, anyway. Some other reason, like, you know, who knows what. So seeing how the mind creates unnecessary distress. We do that all the time. We have experience in the moment. We project into the future. Oh, no, what happens if it gets worse, if this happens? And we create these whole dramas of painful scenarios that, you know, as Mark Twain said, the worst things in my life never actually happened. We just thought a lot about them. and create a lot of stress. So we get to see our habits, right? The Buddha called these latent tendencies, movements that we are we we get in contention with life and experience. We get in contention with our body. We get in contention with what we don't like, with what we don't want. We get in contention with our emotions that are painful. We get in contention with other people that we don't like. We get in contention with our mind because it doesn't shut up or for whatever reason. And we're often struggling with the moment, with experience, with that, particularly with ourselves and our own experience. And that causes a lot of distress, a lot of suffering, a lot of agitation. And so this practice, the, the practice of awareness, helps reveal how we do them. So i give you an example. This is from a three-year-old. Um, it could be a 30-year-old, but it's a three-year-old. It could be us. This is from a, a, a colleague, friend, student, uh, daughter's no, son, three years old. And uh, Kiko, and she writes, Kiko's morning meltdown today was because he'd made up his mind that he wanted syrupy waffles. Me saying no and offering oatmeal with honey and a few rainbow sprinkles for good measure led to a good 15-minute cry. He was so stuck on the idea of syrup he couldn't relax enough to hear me explain that he could have a waffle after he ate his oatmeal. He calmed down for a few minutes, a few seconds, and looked at the oatmeal just long enough to tell me how it was too bumpy or not bumpy enough. Eventually, he found a book he wanted me to read him at the table and calm down enough to actually enjoy the sprinkles on his oats. While his three-year-old tendency to freak out over whatever it is he wants in that moment can be challenging, thankfully, it's matched by his ability to just let go as soon as something else shiny catches his attention. Puppies. Bunnies. We're just like that. It's too bumpy, it's too lumpy. <laughs> Whatever it is that we're, you know, you should be like this. They should talk to me like this. My body shouldn't get fatigued like this. My mind should be quiet like this. Ooh, chocolate. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> ah, that's good. 
lasts for about 10 seconds and then, yeah, but what about, you know. So we get to practice in meditation. This is from Suzuki Roshi, great Zen teacher. He says, you don't really know what it means to meditate, to sit in meditation until there's some great difficulty in your life not until something happens like the grave illness of someone you love and then you're tearing your hair out and pacing back and forth in the corridor of the hospital and there's nothing you can do. And finally you take a seat in the midst of your fears and sorrows and thoughts and worries and you just sit in the middle of it all and that's the moment you begin to understand the power of your practice. So our practice in meditation is preparing us for you know, these kinds of circumstances. Uh, I currently know four people very close to me, close to me, who are in hospital right now dealing with their, their sick uh, parents or, and husband. And I trust that their practice is helping them deal with both the challenge of the medical system, you know, and all the complex choices and stresses and but also their own inner anxieties and fears and, and concerns and also being loving with supported with their spouse and you know relating to the medicals team and, and that takes a lot of practice. A lot of you know, and the more that we've cultivated presence and awareness and meeting what is and being responsive, that will serve us. So that's why we practice. One of the profound things that happens with awareness is this process that's, uh, you can call it disidentification, where we learn to disengage from being caught up in our reactivity. So, for example, I'm teaching a retreat some years ago, and I'm working with a theater director who has a very, very caustic judging mind partly because that profession is has to deal with a lot of external critics, so his inner critic is sort of working overtime to fend off and you know, preempt the outer critics. And yeah, his, his retreat is torment because he's just on his case, beating himself up all day about he's not good enough, his meditation's not good enough, he's not mindful enough, he's not compassionate enough. You know, the critic follows you wherever you go, right? So you come to Spirit Rock, suddenly you're not Buddhist enough, you're not mindful enough, you're not kind enough, you're not compassionate enough, you're not enlightened enough, you're not whatever. You go to the gym, you're not fit enough. You go to college, you're not smart enough. You go to work and you're not fast enough. Or what, you know, he just follows you around. And at some point, he's culturing, you know, sitting, culturing a lot of mindfulness and awareness. And at some point, he's walking down the hill and his critic's on his case. And he has a moment of a clear awareness and disidentification. And he realizes it's just a bunch of thoughts. It's just a bunch of thoughts that I happen to believe and give authority to and give meaning to and give over my power to and believe that they're true. And when I just see an awareness, it's just a bunch of thoughts. And that's very liberating. That catastrophe scenario that seems so real is just a bunch of thoughts. My views and projections and judgments and fears about someone is often my tormented mind spinning yarns. 
So we can, uh, or in the same way we can be, you know, reacting and struggling with our physical pain, and then when we, when awareness is clear and present, we see, oh, it's just sensation. Like we were sitting up in this forest, and it was, we were sitting in the morning, it was cold, and sometimes it was baking hot, but mostly cold in, in the morning. And um, from the perspective of awareness, just sensation, it's just cold, it's not a big deal. It's just cold. And at some point, you'll warm up to the mind, the reactive mind. It's like, oh, it's cold. I hate being cold. I didn't bring my down jacket. Why are you never bring it down? <laughs> suffering, suffering, suffering. Oh, cold is like this. Aversion is like this. Fear is like this. Sensation is like this. It's impermanent. Not a big deal. Don't like it. Don't want it. Here it is. Breathe. It's okay. It will pass. I'll go get some tea after the meditation and I'll warm up and it's, it'll be something else then. So the awareness is very liberating when we see and we can disengage from being so caught in our mind, our thoughts, our reactions, our fears, our judgments. So we'll do some practice in that. This is a uh, teaching from Jan Chosen Bay is a Zen teacher. She writes, <clears throat> uh, In this moment, all things come to be, and I vow to choose what is. So in Zen, there's an emphasis on vows, bodhisattva vows, vows around practice. So she's vowing, I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sorrow, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. What I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it's my death, I choose to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. Being with what is, I respond to what is. Therefore, I vow to choose this moment, whatever this is. This is partly uh, one powerful doorway into the present moment and into peace in the present when we can meet and know and accept and allow what is. It's not mean we don't, ex- we, 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 we doormat and we don't, you know, we don't speak, you know, we, there's plenty of things we don't, we accept, but we also take action, you know. Any kind of injustice, any kind of harm, any kind of cruelty, any kind of racism, any kind of unskillful, inappropriate activity. We're not talking about just, oh, well, okay, you want to hit me? Okay. No, we're not talking about that, but we're talking about can I accept what's here? And then from this, knowing there might be a, you know, a strong response. But initially, can I meet what's here without creating further suffering? So as uh, that reading was pointing to. So, and just a couple other things about this insightful awareness. Um, So in the in the in this tradition, the, the 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 
invitation is to understand a few important things about our nature. One is that everything is impermanent. Everything is changing. Nothing is, nothing lasts. Nothing is reliable and solid enough. Everything is moving, changing, shifting quickly. Thoughts, feelings, perceptions, emotions, moods, all experience. And when we attune to that, there can be some profound insights because we usually relate we intellectually know things change, but we actually relate to most experience. We get disappointed or upset or frustrated when things change or when people change. In the same way, um, with that un- uh, changing nature, then it points to there's a certain unreliability or uncertainty or undependability about experience because it's fleeting, it's changing. When we know that, we stop expecting experience to last and make us happy because we know nothing's going to last and nothing's going to make us happy in in the fulfilled way we want because it's elusive, it's uncertain, it's changing, it's permeable, it's dependent. So it's not that we don't welcome and orient to happiness, but we don't demand experience that can't deliver that because it's changing to deliver it including your meditation. I want my meditation to be happy. Well, great. Let's see what happens. And if it is, great. And then guess what? It changes. And then how do we meet that? So, in the same way we can notice our reactive tendency, right? In, in practice, or in life, we can see that we are relating to life with openness, welcoming, invitation, acceptance, or we're reacting, resistant, closed, fearful, angry. And and we do this all day. We can accept, we welcome, we open, and then something like, but I hate feeling that way. I hate that thought. And I don't like it when people do that. And we contract, we react, we get caught in reactivity, and we suffer. And we see that, and at times we go, oh, that's really painful to be caught in that aversive mind state. And then we open. So I notice this when you're on, on the camping retreat. So on a camping retreat, everyone's wearing nylon, you know, or pot, you know, that sort of whatever stuff is made of, you know, down jackets and, you know, waterproof pants and wind-resistant stuff. It's... Um, it's nylon, so it's loud. So as soon as someone moves, it becomes swishy, 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 swishy. Becomes this a chorus of swishy, 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 swishy. And of course, you're always sitting next to the person who's really, really fidgety and itchy and swishy, 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 swishy. Or someone comes late, swishy, 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 shuffle, 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 swishy, 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 scratch, scratch, swishy, swishy. And if you don't like swishy, 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 then you have a lot of aversion. Stop moving. Shut up. (laughs) Swishy, swishy, swishy. (laughs) So, and it's, you know, it's so interesting in those moments because I, you know, sometimes, you know, I really like silence and like stillness, right? So swishy, swishy, swishy is not really so welcome for me. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just fine. It's just people noise, moving, you know, people need to get up and down and move. It's fine. And other times it's like, oh, oh shut up. <laughs> aversion, aversion, resistance, resistance, judgment, judgment, hatred, hatred. 
banning people from retreats for moving. <laughs> banning all nylon products in meditation. <laughs> and then I did this, oh, Mark, a little reactive there. <laughs> a little judgmental. Now, of course, anybody who's wearing nylon is like, okay, I'm not going to move. <laughs> So, and it's clear that the suffering is not in the swishy, swishy sound. The suffering is in here, judging it, thinking it shouldn't be happening, wanting it not to happen, preferring silence and demanding that happen. All that, that's self-created suffering. The suffering is not in the swishy pants or the swishy moving. So, this is a metaphor, okay? What's your swishy sound? Right? What in your life is like a swishy sound that pisses you off and makes you contract and react in a way that's painful, unnecessary, and there's another alternative. Right? And I'm using a very sort of benign example. Of course, there's much greater intense layers of suffering, but you know, this is something we do a lot. Like, oh, every time my partner slams the door... <laughs> I've asked him 50 times. Right? Maybe that's your swishy. Or every time your kids don't get to in, out of the house on time. Right? Big triggering moment in the morning. Right? Or every time... So, yeah. So we get to know that. So let's do a little sitting, a little practice. And we'll look at this nature of experience. So... Um, I'm going to suggest we all stand for a moment because you've all been sitting and I can tell there's some sleepy heads in here. So um, if you're sleepy, uh, I'd suggest you do the meditation standing up, which might cause a little discomfort, but that will give you something to work with. Um, I do not suggest you lie down unless you have a physical injury and then, of course, that's fine. Um, so, And you may want to keep your eyes open, so stretch a little, whatever. You need to do, swing your arms, raise them. standing up. I'm going to join you standing up. I'm in, in solidarity. <laughs> standing is a great posture. Meditation, as Buddha talked about, being mindful in four postures, sitting, walking, standing, lying down. So we've done sitting, we've done walking. We'll do some standing for those who wish. If it's not a good posture for your body, if it's painful, of course, take care of yourself, sit down, put your hands on the back of a chair, lean against a wall. Um, but it's a very enlivening practice. <clears throat> it's also a little uncomfortable at times, especially as meditation goes on. So it gives you something to work with. Right? So in the meditation, um, we'll practice open awareness. I'll guide us to various things, changing nature of experience. 
And, um, but particularly when you notice something that's unpleasant or difficult, really inviting a curious attention with that. How do you meet, hold, relate to that? How do you add unnecessary suffering or reactivity or distress? So standing comfortably, closing your eyes, or if that's if you need your eyes for balance, just have your gaze lowered. It's just doing a general weather report. What's the inner landscape like? How do you feel in the afternoon? It's different than this morning. Notice your energy. Is it tired? Is it lively? Balanced? How does your body feel? Relaxed? Full? Tense? Calm, achy. Does the heart feel in this moment? What's the, any emotion that's present? Curiosity, ease, anxiety. And notice what's happening in the mind. Is the mind busy, quiet? Focused, distracted. Notice how I, as each time I point to these domains of experience, it immediately illuminates that experience. For example, if I say, now bring your awareness to, or become aware of, your feet, right? there's a certain awareness, a certain knowing of your the physical experience of your feet, the sensations of your feet touching the ground, the experience of hardness and softness in your feet, or the temperature of the ground or your skin, or sensing your bones of the feet and your heel, or the micro, the muscles, bone, micro bones, muscles tensing and relaxing and the weight of your body coming down through your ankle and heel and aware of your legs moving tensing relaxing muscles swaying of your back, spine, your rib cage, chest, your belly, releasing any unnecessary tension, your arms and hands. And noticing how just saying that illuminates this, like the hands light up with sensitivity and tingling and warmth. Of your head, neck, your face. The 
awareness, not separate from experience, not separate from that which it's knowing. Aware of the whole body standing. Standing and aware of standing. Noticing again how this body is a field of sensations. Pulsing, vibrating, tingling, ebbing, flowing, warmth, coolness. Nothing stays the same. No two moments of experience stay the same. Times experiences pleasurable, times unpleasant and painful. Awareness of body is like this, noticing changing sensations, aware of the breath ebbing and flowing. No two breaths the same. Awareness to sound and noticing the soundscape. Sounds ceaselessly coming and going. Known in awareness. Landscape of the heart, feelings, emotions, moods, rising like mist, sometimes like storms, sometimes triggered by thoughts or sensations. 
may for some moments and change pass away. As emotions move through the physical landscape of the body, of the mind and its thoughts flickering, moving images, ideas plans, memories permanent, ephemeral transient insubstantial when we pay attention to a thought and awareness that often dissolves From the perspective of awareness, all things, all phenomena, simply coming and going by themselves, selflessly, arising out of conditions, sensations, feelings, thoughts, sounds, phenomena, coming and going in awareness, Not me, not mine, not self, just things being known moment by moment. Being present to this changing flow of experience. Resting in the still point of awareness, present to this ebb and flow.
this open quality of awareness, if you find that it, your attention tends to space out or get lost in thought, it can be fine to have a resting place for the attention, a place where awareness is tethered to, like the sensations of breath, sensations of body, some ground for the attention at the same time, being open and present to this changing flow of experience. Bring your awareness to somewhere in the body that feels, or somewhere in your experience that feels unpleasant, uncomfortable, painful, unwanted. Maybe you're cold or hot or tired or achy. Pleasant, difficult emotion present. Bring awareness to your attitude. How do you relate? How do you hold or attend to this experience? You meet it with curiosity, with allowing, with openness, welcoming. You notice the contraction, the fear, the aversion, the clenching, tensing, resisting. Notice how awareness can reveal both the experience and our reaction or response. Now just bringing awareness can often soften resistance or soften reactivity. Not always, but sometimes. There's a phrase like this, oh, sensation is like this, tiredness is like this, cold is like this, 
Pain is like this. Sadness is like this. Unpleasantness is like this. Reactivity is like this. Just as a sense of simple acknowledgement of what's here. Allowing. So we're not adding to the suffering by reacting. Bring your attention to something pleasurable, something easeful, something pleasant about your physical experience or your mental, emotional experience, something in the soundscape, or a sense of space or light. Or just noticing if there's anything easeful, pleasurable, pleasant. And noticing your attitude, how do you meet and welcome what's pleasurable, what's enjoyable, what's easeful? Are you curious, are you welcoming? Savor this experience, stillness, calmness, silence. And as we bring the meditation to a close, notice what's here, having attended to different facets of our experience. Close with a reading from Achan Chah. He says, Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become quieter and quieter in any surroundings. It will become still like a clear forest pool. Then all kinds of wonderful and rare animals will come to drink at the pool. You You will see clearly the nature of all things in the world. You will see many wonderful and strange things come and go, but you will be still. 
This is the happiness of the Buddha. This is the happiness of awareness. As you hear the sound of the bell, just being aware of hearing and then moving, and then as you open your eyes, be aware of seeing. And please take a seat if you've been standing. up if you've been sleeping. comments about that practice? Any questions? Please, microphone here. Um, I experience a lot of involuntary movement when I'm meditating, and it's been suggested to me that I try standing and uh-huh. different things, but it seems like really pervasive, and I was wondering if you uh, have any comments about that. Uh, what kind of movements, like, I mean, saying voluntary, like? Like neck movements, like teeth, like opening, and like, especially when the bell rings, it's like I get the whole rotation thing. and uh-huh. Like twitching or like releasing, like softening or like it's, spasmy? It, it's, it's like flowing. It's like, flowing. Ne- like everything's kind of flowing and like, like if there's like sometimes an imbalance, like it'll kind of get into bending that side. And Mm. so like it started when I started doing um, the choiceless awareness Mm. and then it was like really happening a lot. So then Mm -hmm. I looked for some solutions. So one was standing, but now it's happening standing. Uh It's happening with eyes open. It's like Uh pretty. um, Is it subtle? Like, like someone, like someone couldn't see it if you were. No, like it's, it's it's like you would be able to see it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not unpleasant, but I'm like, is that an object to track? Is that something to try to stop doing? Should I only walk, meditate? Mm, like, yeah. No, it's, it's not a problem um, unless you make it into one, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so movement happens. It sounds like, so it sounds like it's involuntary. You're, you're not willing it. It just, the head moves or your jaw releases or something or there's a rotation or... So you just notice the movement, but don't feed it. As in, don't get into it, don't exaggerate it, don't mm-hmm. just just notice it, and then and then and then be aware of the next thing. Like, oh, I wish that wouldn't happen. Oh, I wonder why that's happening. So when you notice the thoughts that come about it. Notice if it's pleasant or unpleasant. Notice if there's reactivity to it. So basically not feeding it one way or the other, not encouraging it, but also not making it a problem. And then it's just, no, it's just the body doing its thing, releasing, 
do you have any any um, agency to to not do it to when to 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 be still if i'm really um in an awareness state it doesn't stop it doesn't stop it it, it continues if i'm in a in an awareness state and when you're not in an awareness state then i can get it to stop uh-huh But I think I got like a little bit caught up in this idea of getting it to stop. So trying yeah. these different meditation techniques. So, but it sounds like I mean, it, I oh. haven't heard it like talked about before. So I'm yeah. like, you know, should I get it to stop? But it sounds like you're saying it's not important. It's to not get a big it to deal. Stop. Yeah. Okay. If, if you don't feed it and you don't make a problem out of it, it will resolve itself. Whatever that is. Okay. Yeah. It's just like I haven't seen it. Like when I look at people, I'm like, they're all still. Yeah, people move. Okay. <laughs> you're the expert. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, again, coming back to the the principle of this pra- this this meditation, which is exploring the attitude and the relationship to experience, right? Whether it's stillness or movement or pleasant or pleasure, pleasure or pain, or right, the the key is in the in the relationship, right? Movement in and of itself, you know, is neutral, but what we do with that, how we react to that, what we make of it, that can be a lot of struggle. Or not, depending on the relationship. Okay, good. I'd be curious to see how it unfolds. How long has it been happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So probably it's. My sense is it's it's a it's a release of energy. I kind of felt like it was like my body fighting back against the cell phone, like you know, like I have a lot of stored. Like things I haven't moved, ways I haven't moved. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anything else about that practice, either standing or just you know the paying attention to a more reflective quality, the changing nature of experience, selfless nature of experience, coming and going, and awareness. Please. Wait, wait for the mic. Wait for the mic. <clears throat> what I noticed since I hadn't ever done standing meditation before, that was the first time, that there was a lot of judgment about it. Like, do I like it? Do I not like it? I'm swaying. Maybe I should have sat down. So what it said to me is usually when I have a new experience mm-hmm. that I can really get into my head and make it worse than, oh, I'm having a new experience. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so just giving yourself permission to have, it's kind of like an adjustment. You're kind of like, you know, the mind's trying to track and assess and, you know, both giving yourself to the practice because it's new and, you know, and also noticing the naturalness of some kind of self-assessment, but leave the assessment till afterwards, you know. All right, so um, gonna sh- again, this is really kind of layering of facets of awareness. So, um, uh, especially given what I was speaking to in the last, well, prior to the last meditation, that you know much of our experience can be not easy to be with. Right, the Buddha called this dukkha, difficult to bear. There's a lot of experience that's hard to bear. Being in a body with its aches and pains, having a 
heart that's vulnerable to fear and loss and rejection, having a social self that's very vulnerable to not feeling loved or included or seen or accepted, you know, the, the social pain that happens from how cruel people can be to each other or the racism or the, the oppression that happens between people in society, in, in society or um, you know, just so many layers of our experience that's not easy to be with. And so it's essential that we're not just aware of all that, but we're also kind, we're also loving, we're, we're, we're compassionate with whatever tenderness, suffering, angst, distress, fear, loneliness, emptiness happens. Right? Because if we don't have that kindness, if we're not loving with what's here, it's harder to be with. When we can be kind and loving with ourselves, with our pain, with our sorrow, with our loss, with our fear, with whatever oppression that we might be feeling, there's more capacity to hold it, to understand it, to find a wise response to it, so, um, and this is something that we can that can happen naturally. Right? There's this beautiful line from um, uh, Mary Oliver. She says, "If there is nothing in this world, if I can pay attention to long enough, that doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. And if there is, I haven't found it yet." Right? So when we bring a, a, a curious attention to things, ourselves, another person, nature, whatever. Right? That, that that quality of warmth or friendliness can come forward. But uh, we can also nurture it, we can cultivate it, we can have it be more foreground. <clears throat> and particularly when we're, we're attending to experience that's hard, right? we want to pay attention to... Um, is there any, you know, in the same way that you know, a friend might come to us, or a loved one might come to us, or even a stranger might come to us, in a, you know, through our work, and they're suffering. You know, I've been dealing with a lot of uh, friends suffering right now because of all these people who are in hospital, and it's natural for the heart to respond with care, or with warmth, or with friendliness, or helpfulness. And um, that's not necessarily the first response to our own pain. Usually if we're feeling sad or lonely or deficient or empty or sorrowful or confused or all the many different kinds of states we can get into as human beings, you know, um, often the first response is, well, get over it, you know, toughen up or, you know, you're so privileged, how can you be suffering? Look at all the suffering in the world or whatever the story is. And it's very easy to reject uh, distress or uh, pain. And pain is pain, no matter what your experience. So, um, so it's essential that we learn to bring some, you know, some self-compassion, some love, some warmth here, because that will allow us to both be more intimate with the experience, hold it, understand it, feel it, process it, allow it to move. I remember when I first started meditating, I was, uh, whenever I meditated, I would always feel, as soon as I got quiet, I'd feel really sad. And I was, first I thought, well, maybe meditation's, you know, bad for your health, you know, it just makes you sad, you know, maybe it's just the wrong thing. 
until I realize, oh no, it's actually I'm sad, and I just I just choose to ignore it and stuff it, and and you know get busy, and and it's only when I'm quiet that I feel this layer of sadness and, and kind of tenderness and vulnerability, and um, and that went on for some years, and I was always curious. Oh, it keeps coming like it never really seems to go away. And it wouldn't go away because I wouldn't really feel it. I wouldn't. I, I would sort of like notice it, and then be like, oh, "Okay, I'll get on with my other stuff," you know. And, and it would be a kind of a rejection, and and that went on for many, many years, until at some point I started doing deeper retreat, longer retreat, and started to feel some of the pain and the wounding that was underneath that sadness. At some point, the sadness shifted, you know, and I was able to hold that part of me, especially the young part of me, with a lot more kindness and. and forgiveness and compassion, the, the, the whole thing really moved, moved through. And that's no longer my experience when I say it's sad. I mean, unless I'm sad about something specific, it's not, but not a substrata experience. So we can do tremendous work and healing in, in awareness practice when it's suffused with warmth and when it's suffused with love. I remember when sort of later... later Many years after that experience, I was I was in a long retreat and um, was on my way to become a monk in Burma. And I'd been doing many, many months and years of long retreats, and I was very in my sort of practice years as a as a meditator. And uh, some extremely painful early trauma came up, early pre-verbal trauma. That um, was very, very hard to be with. It was unbearably painful. The, all the cluster of feelings that were in terror and annihilation and all kinds of other things that um, I went through as a young infant and um, uh, it was very very hard to be with but I'd done a lot of practice before you know I'd done a lot of mindfulness practice I'd done a lot of loving kindness practice and 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 this the the pain the intensity of the trauma kind of flattened me in my in my retreat and I was in bed a lot and was, I ended up getting chronic fatigue and it was a very difficult time in my life. But I was, it was very clear to me that what was, and I couldn't practice, I couldn't meditate. Meditation was actually made it worse because it intensified it. So I just was kind of resting most of the time. But what remained was the quality of awareness and compassion, self-compassion. Like that was what I was able to draw on and hold myself through this very long, it ended up being many, many months of, of quite distressing time. And, and it was just such a great lesson for me of, of seeing how, um, how practice happens, how the, how the fruit of one's meditation happens. You know, often, you know, we meditate, maybe we meditate every day and, you know, sort of like, not much happens, you focus on your breath, you get distracted, you do some loving kindness, it's kind of boring. And then you, but you kind of just keep at it because that's what you do and you know it's good for you. And, and, but it's not that amazing. Sometimes it's lovely and calm. And, but there's something happening in that. It's like, it's, like, you know, it's like gardening. You know, It's like gardening in the winter where you're just tending to the soil and you're fertilizing and you're weeding and you're, you're, you're you know, you're, creating nurturing ground for the for spring and right? so practices like that and it, and it sometimes arises the capacity rises in surprising ways so um, 
So I just want us to explore that a little bit. Um, we're going to do some. We're going to do this in a walking meditation. Um, walking, or uh, what I like to call in, in in my nature retreats, meandering meditation, or as one of my English compadres called bimbling meditation, because we bimble in England. <laughs> bimbling, um, rambling, kind of, you know, just what you do when you're on your own and maybe you're in the woods or you're at the beach and you're just kind of, you know, wandering around, you look at the waves and then maybe you go up to the rocks and you lean against the rocks and then you sit on the sand and maybe you lie on the sand, you look up and then you find another rock and you look at the lichen and then you put your feet in the waves and and that's what we do a lot in nature is we just meander and bimble and bumble and womble and tumble and <laughs> so but we're doing that with awareness that's the difference so so we're going to do a walking practice but I want you to attend a meandering practice but I want you to attend to the quality of warmth or care or love or friendliness or affection or appreciation any kind of warm hearted quality that's present as you you know maybe you walk down into the meadow and you, with the grasses and the flowers or you're with the trees or you stand with the tree or you walk up the hill a little and um, just to notice what it's like when you bring to the foreground a lot of practice a lot of intention with practice is you're bringing a quality to the foreground so in this case we're moving with awareness, like we did earlier today, indoor-outdoor. But we're also bringing forth the quality of love or kindness. And, and just noticing if when you're outside and you're noticing people, you're noticing trees, you're noticing beauty, you're noticing birds and light and sky, noticing if there's any warmth or affection or delight or pleasure or joy um, sometimes we feel that in this, we, we explore this a lot on this retreat in the woods. Sometimes you feel love emanating from the earth. You feel love emanating from trees, sometimes from rocks, certainly from grasses and animals and birds and deer. And So to just notice the, the quality of the heart, whether it's open or closed, tender or warm or vulnerable or loving and um, and and sometimes you may give voice to that. You may, um, in, the, in the meta practice, loving kindness practice, we often use words, which is like a blessing, and we wish things well. Maybe you're standing with a tree, and you just wish it well. Or you see the deer walk by, or the turkeys, and all of their eccentricity, and you just have this fondness. Or you see the birds flying, and you just wish them well. Or you notice the ants crawling vulnerably on the ground, walking on the ground. You, you wish them well, and you tiptoe around them, and so again, just just suffusing. Or if you if there's something here that's present, either in the day or in your life, or in the meditation, or just arises, some experience of tenderness, or confusion, or loneliness, or stress, or distress, or sadness. I notice that. How do I hold that? How do I? You know, maybe put a hand on your heart, and you just bring a kindness into the awareness, a warmth, a friendliness, as you would with a child or a friend or a loved one. You would you know, meet them with, with care. So we're doing that with ourselves and with the, the world around us. 
So uh, let's do some walking, meandering, bimbling, rambling practice. And, uh, and then we'll ring a bell, um, maybe like uh, five to four, to, which is about 25 minutes to come back for our last meditations and reflections. And I'll stay behind if there's any question or something personal that you don't want to bring up in the group.
So welcome back. A quote from Henry Miller, the writer. The novelist took up painting later in life and he said, he wrote, I remember while the transformation which took place in me when I first began to view the world with the eyes of a painter, the most familiar things and objects which I'd gazed at all my life now became an unending source of wonder and with wonder, of course, affection. A teapot, an old hammer, a chipped cup, whatever came to mind or to hand, I looked upon as if I looked upon as if I'd never seen it before. To paint is to love again, to live again, and to see again. And I would say to meditate is to love again, to live again, and to see again. Right? So we've just taken a walk out in nature, and um, I mentioned this to many people, the place that we were camping last week um, was, you know, was, it was lovely. Um, it wasn't anything extraordinary. It was woodland and meadows and um, you know, not spectacular in any way. But when, you know, especially spending days there, but bringing a meditative awareness and presence to a place or a plant, or a tree, or a rock, or a meadow, suddenly it becomes beautiful. And and we all fell deeply in love with this landscape. And we only hung out in probably maybe a six-acre patch, even though we were in a thousand-acre forest. But um, when we bring awareness to something, it's we see its beauty, its majesty. It's, you know, and you can fall deeply in love with a rock and a twig and a branch and uh, you know there's all these um, you know in this time of year for me is not the most compelling I'm from England and we, we know I like green grass it's not green grass time it's brown dusty dirty um, but the light's beautiful and the, the, you know, the angle of the light in autumn and you know those meadows of uh, dried, crispy uh, thistles, you know, that have seeded and golden, and and in the light they were just gorgeous, you know, and just and so, you know, what I love about this practice of presence and awareness is the you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and it's really in the it's in the it's in the eye of awareness, and anything and everything can be beautiful, and magical, and mysterious depending on the quality of presence. Right? Depending on the receptivity and the sensitivity and the, you know, the nuance in the attention. So, so I hope you, you tasted that a little bit in your, in your meandering, in your bimbling. Anybody find that in the... Yeah? Do you wanna, anybody want to say anything? Yeah, there we mic. Speak really, put it close to you. I fell in love with a tree. Yeah. And it it was just so beautiful. It had um, green moss all the way around it, all the way up it. And it it went way up into the tree and just touching the moss. Mm -hmm. It was soft and Mm -hmm. beautiful colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was prob- probably falling in love with you as you were falling <laughs> in love with it. I was trying to feel its heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. The, you know, the, there's interesting research being done on the sensitivity of plants and animals and their awareness of threat. And you know, there's some research pointing to that there's some registering of of, of human presence. Um, and you know, who knows what that means? We don't really understand yet. But it's you know, when you're sensitive, you know. We feel the beingness, the aliveness of of things, and particularly old trees, but many things, mountains. Yeah, yeah. Please, yeah, behind the blue. I was drawn to a what looked like from my level on the trail, a dead trunk of a tree, a madrone, and as I, it made me stop, and as I looked up, I saw that it had continued, and it was very healthy, way up high, and I thought that was just a wonderful metaphor of looking at things that don't look like they're alive, but yet they can be very alive, and the vitality, and the, the just the liveness in that tree that was still there, that had a challenging beginning at some point, that right. it's a cracked trunk, and right. that was yeah. beautiful, beautiful to yeah. see that. Yeah. Other comments, please? I just want to thank you for um, planting the idea of love emanating from the earth toward Mm. us and Mm. from the trees. And Mm. I just really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Be open to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's quite palpable. Yeah, sometimes you walk into a place and there's a presence, it's alive, you know. And we are the earth, you know, we, we're part of the earth's moving surface. We think of ourselves as on the earth, but we are the earth moving. I was just going to say, when you, you said that, reminded me that I do feel that with wind mm. and breezes, like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a caress. A caress, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, lovely. Help me expand that. Yeah, yeah, nice. Please. I'm watching two turkeys doing a dance out here. It's quite spectacular. I'm not sure what they're doing. Um, I, I will agree with what you just shared a moment ago. I, I think it's pretty magnificent to be on this earth and look at this, the ground underneath us and just think about the greatness that exists within ourselves. And I was thinking about the sun, just thinking about the radiance of this glow that comes and hits us and warms us and changes the colors of the earth and just was taking it in and with this prompt of loving, this kindness, this pleasure, just felt kind of like fireworks of colors all around me and I just took it in and just enjoyed it. So thank you. Nice, thank you. I also wanted to add that I've never wished an ant or a bee kindness before. (laughs) But I did on this walk and it was funny because... I even sensed that, you know, I was looking at this ant that was carrying this small white speck and it stopped for a second and I wasn't even in its path. And I had a moment and I said, oh my gosh, is the ant noticing me? (laughs) And then I realized I was having this whole, you know, dialogue with 
with with a creature that I I had never even really thought of, and I just mm. thought that was really beautiful. Mm. Um, wanted to share. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah, there's a sensitivity in the attention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm mostly interested in people, and uh, I was just sitting there on the bench watching everybody being mindful and walking around mindfully and almost piggybacking off of their mindfulness and Mm -hmm. watching it have a calming effect on me, feeling really Mm -hmm. tickled about um, watching them engage in their process and Mm -hmm. uh, paying attention to how that had an effect on me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah, we support each other with our practice and uh, intention and, and we can learn a lot from each other. Just watching how someone moves, or listens, or looks, or feels, or touches a bark of a tree. Or, yeah. yeah, it's good to practice together. Any other comments? Bring love, yeah, please. Uh, yes, comments on um, just some experiences and observations throughout the day. Mm. Um, one thing I really appreciated was your inquiring about the attitude of our heart and the orientation and what we're bringing to it, because so much of the time it feels like we're at the, the effect of our thoughts and our feelings, whereas that, that just hit me in a new way, hmm. like to inquire, what am I bringing to the mm-hmm. table, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what's my relationship to what is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other comment had to do with a, a practice we did earlier um, in the morning, and what I noticed was um, slowing down my movements uh, really facilitated uh, a more intense focus, Mm -hmm. almost because I didn't have the momentum propelling me forward. I really had to pay attention to balance and how my foot landed on the ground. And just that cadence and that slowing down made a big difference in the support of my awareness. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. It's good to slow down. And just allow that sensitivity to arise. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Anyone else? All right, last comment over here. <clears throat> so I was going to share earlier, and I felt bad because I felt like I've shared too much. And but I wanted to mention the earlier time when we were doing the walking um, awareness in the room was really powerful for me because in a room full of people, it tends to cause me anxiety. And I wasn't worried about running, bumping into people. I just felt like I was actually floating and I was not concerned. And and that's kind of carried forward in this day for me where um, I've just felt very safe here around a big group of people. And that's very rare mm-hmm. uh, for me. Great. Great. Thank Good. you. Yeah. yeah. Again, there's a you know, hopefully there's a supportiveness here in the in the sangha, in the community, in a sense of safety or feeling welcome. And so I'm glad you feel that. So I'm sure there's other voices in the room, but we'll have to move on from now. <clears throat> All right. So moving through levels of awareness. So. Um, well, the last, well, not the last phase, but another layer that I find the, personally the most interesting 
is to bring awareness to awareness itself, to turn the lens of attention, which is usually outwards, to life, experience, people, the world, to ourselves, to the awareness itself, to that which is knowing, to that which is aware, that which is awake to experience. So um, I'll guide us a little in that. And um, and then we'll talk about bringing this awareness into life, into the world, into the relational world. And <clears throat> we really haven't need. We got another week's work of work here, so <laughs> I have to come back for part two, <laughs> part twenty-seven. Okay, so let's sit together. So we'll begin by <clears throat> establishing your posture, relaxed and alert, closing the eyes or lowering the gaze. And opening the awareness to the space all around you, the sense of space in the room, above, below, to the sides, behind you. The awareness that we're sitting in this vast space inside, outside. Within that space arise sounds and silence. And noticing how effortlessly sounds are known in this space of awareness. Sounds appearing and disappearing. This open field of awareness.
and all other experience like sounds, sensations, feelings, thoughts, coming and going, ebbing and flowing, known in this spacious, open field of awareness. And again, attending to sounds, attending to hearing. And shift the attention from the sounds to the process of hearing, to the knowing of hearing, to the awareness that's aware of sounds. It's the sound and there's the awareness of hearing. Curious about that which is knowing, that which is aware. Sounds appearing and disappearing in this open field of awareness. Present to the knowing, to the awareness itself that reveals sounds. Being curious about awareness itself, this knowing, does awareness have a shape, size, or a location?
Does it have an age? Color? Or a gender? Does it come and go? directly at your own mind to the nature of awareness itself that's present, clear, unobstructed. Feeling experience, knowing experience. Sensations, breath, body, being known. Known by what? Known in awareness. Being curious. This knowing quality of mind. Not a thing, but clearly present. Resting in this knowing quality of awareness, present to experience, ebbing and flowing,
the last few minutes of the meditation. Sting in awareness, present to the ebb and flow of experience, and attuning to this process of awareness as knowing itself, happening by itself, revealing experience, appearing and disappearing within awareness itself. Close with a reading from Shamkar Rinpoche. Let your awareness spontaneously relax and rest. Left to itself, this awareness is fresh and naked. If observed, it is a vivid clarity without anything to see. Direct awareness, sharp and awake, possessing no existence, empty and pure, a clear openness of luminosity and emptiness. It is not permanent since it does not exist as a thing. It is not nothingness since it is vividly clear and awake. It is not oneness since many things are cognized and known. It is not duality since the many things known are inseparable in one taste. It is not somewhere else, it is your own awareness itself, dwelling in your own heart, never be separated from it. So, um, so I'm, as we go through the day, we're going from gross to subtle, and to cultivate awareness of awareness is considered a very refined and a, a deep, subtle 
some would say, advanced practice. It's also very ordinary and very accessible and also elusive. So what I'm pointing to is something that's quite subtle and um, uh, but something that you may attend to at times since the orientation in this practice is to be attentive to objects mostly, breath, body, sounds, feelings, thoughts, people, reality, world. At times we can orient the attention to be present to what is knowing. This clear awareness that's knowing experience and to learn to abide in that knowing. So um, I'm going to move on. There's a few things I'd like to uh, share before we go. So... um, So I'd like us to close with touching a little on uh, engaged awareness and uh, relational awareness. So engaged awareness is what you do when you go home. (laughs) When you leave here at five o'clock is you engage with life and kids and people and buses and cars and traffic and food and cell phones and messages and life, right? That's engage. We have engage with life. The point isn't to live in some ivory tower of awareness, but to actually be intimate and engage with experience and the beauty and the challenge of that. And um, so, so how do we do that? That's the koan, right? It's one thing to come in Spirit Rock, it's all very cozy, cozy, and it's very pleasant, and we meditate, and it's lovely. But, you know, how do you, you know, when you're downtown Oakland or in San Francisco and someone's hassling you and you're late for work and, you know, your kids are sick at home or whatever it is, right? It's how do you bring awareness? That's hard, much harder than sitting here. So this is like the, the rest and recovery and, and restorative and nourishment. So then you can bring that awareness into life, right? Into immediate engagement with life. Um, I was listening to a friend of mine when I was back in England and I'm very connected to the Extinction Rebellion folks over there and, and he's very front line with the, that and he's, you know, they, he often leads the, the closing down of a bridge and, you know, and, and um, talk about engaging with life. You're going onto a very busy bridge in London and you walk out in front of traffic and you sit down and you get really pissed off people who know they're going to be stuck for a few hours on a bridge. And like, he's like, that's where I practice. Right? How do I bring presence and awareness and compassion to that? So, um, <clears throat> you know, I'll be flying, I'm taking, a, I think, a 14 hour flight or something nuts on Sunday night. And I know I'll probably be a nice, uh, unhappy baby behind me and, you know, with difficulty with the ear and the altitude and um, it's where we practice, right? We practice, when we prepare. This is like preparation for when, you know, stuff hits the fan. So there's a great line from uh, Peter writing from um, uh, poet Hafez, um, the story about his, his a Sufi wisdom, crazy wisdom teacher and he, um, uh, someone comes to him, one of his students, who's uh, um, and, uh, 
devotee and, and, and has, has had all these mystical experiences with the divine and wants some Hafiz to confirm them. So this man's telling him about all his mystical experiences and, and, and Hafiz is sort of looking a bit nonplussed and says, okay, well, that's interesting. Tell me, uh, how many goats do you have? And Hafiz knew the, the guy was a farmer and he said, oh, I've got 40, but why are you asking me about goats? I'm telling you about God and you want me about goats? He said, yeah, and, and, and uh, your parents are still alive and do you look after your grandparents and you know, how do you take care of your staff and do you feed the birds in winter? And he's asking him all these questions and the man gets more and more irate and confused. And I go, yeah, yes, I do all that. And what, what, why are you asking me these bothersome questions? I want to tell you about my mystical experiences. And Hafiz says, well, you ask me if your visions of God and divine are true. And I say they are if they make you more kind and more caring to every person, every creature that you meet. The proof of our, the proof of the pudding of our practice comes in actually how we meet and show up and relate to life and people and ourselves and the world and the crisis that we're living in. So, um, so that's the that's the practice. Another story for you, just to sort of. So this is from Byron Katie, who's a wonderfully awake. Teacher, and she's um, she's at home making some salad, and uh, here's a knock at the door. And she says, "Just when I think life is so good that it can't get any better, the phone rings, and life gets better." I love that music. Who says that when they hear the phone ring? I love that music. As I walk towards the phone, there's a knock at the door. Who could it be? I walk towards the door, filled with the given, the fragrance of the salad and the vegetables, the sound of the phone, and I've done nothing for any of it. I trip over and fall. The floor is so unfailingly there. I experience its texture, its security, its lack of complaint. In fact, the opposite, it gives its entire self to me. I feel its coolness as I lie on it. Obviously, it was time for a little rest. The floor (laughs) accepts me unconditionally and holds me without impatience. As I get up, it doesn't say, come back, come back, you're deserting me, you owe me, you didn't thank me, you're ungrateful. No, it's just like me, it does its job, it is what it is, the fist knocks, the phone rings, the salad waits, the floor lets go of me, life is good. (laughs) So next time you fall over... (laughs) And you're on your case for being unmindful and, you know, whatever you should have done. So, oh, I guess it's time to get closer to the floor. All right. I guess it was time for that glass to break and smash in a million pieces. All right. That's bringing awareness right? and, and, and intercepting the reactivity that normally happens in life. So... Um, So how we engage, how we relate, how we bring this moment to moment to whatever it is is in front of us as we leave here. And so I'd like us to do um, another practice, one last practice, and this is a relational awareness practice um, where we're actually going to do some mindful talking and mindful listening, which is a very lovely application of awareness. And I'd like us to um, explore a couple of questions. I'm also aware that there's quite a lot of people here doing here getting CEs. So I want to divide the room into two groups: one who are just here for well, you're here because you're here, but 
the people who are doing CEs, how about we all stand up? And we're going to get into pairs. But first of all, um, how about the people doing getting continuing ed units and I assume you're all therapists and social workers and whatnot some, doing some kind of work with people if you just go just go into the back where you where where we were doing the milling and if you're if you're in the back and you're not getting CEs then come towards the front <clears throat> and um, so that's clear who's here and who's there and there should be 18 of you in the back okay so now everybody pair up and if you're in the back pair up with a fellow CE person and if you're in the front just pair up with someone around you next to you either someone you came with or some stranger or whoever you can introduce yourself and raise your hand if you need a partner so you can look and find each other Anybody else need a partner? Anybody else need a partner? Anybody else need a partner? So join a group. Oh, there you go. You're good? Great. All right. So, and you can, and you're welcome to sit, you can also sit this out. If you really don't want to talk, it's also fine. I, I forgot to say that. You're always welcome to not do anything that I say. Uh, okay, so we're going to do a, a, a mindful inquiry. So the inquiry process is we'll do it in a monologue where one of you will talk and one of you will do this really radical thing called listening without interrupting. It's not what happens usually when you go home or when you're at work, but it can happen here. Um, we'll only do it for two minutes, maybe three minutes. Um, and the question is, um, what... Uh, what touched you? You know, what, 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 what practice? What, you know, what, what was, you know, what was a key learning for you today in, in doing these various kinds of awareness practices? And just to remind you, the kind of awareness practices. So we started with being unaware. Maybe that was your favorite practice, and then embodied awareness, movement awareness, open awareness, where we're present to the whole of our experience, um, activity awareness, which was lunch and whatever you did at lunch, insightful awareness. Loving awareness. I was just talking a little about engaged awareness, but that's really what you do when you leave here. And then we can do relational awareness. And we also did awareness of awareness itself. So um, of all those different learnings, practices, you know, just what touched you, what was significant, um, and how may you take one thing from today into your life, one practice, one insight, one understanding, one way, one application, and this is particularly for you folks doing the continuing ads, how, as well as what touched you, how may you apply this in your work or in your work with people, um, just so, to bring a little uh, focus around that. So um, so you're in pairs, so I'd say the person with uh, longer hair can begin uh, but don't, don't begin yet. One, one, one last thing, instruction. One, one instruction. Wait, 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 wait. So, um, uh, so, the, so the, just to reiterate the instructions. So, the person with the longer hair is going to talk for two or three minutes. You know, what touched you? What's significant for you? Or anything else you want to talk about? If that's not comfortable, your partner, partner B, will simply listen. Full attention, full awareness. Right. Both of you 
hopefully connected to your body, awake, aware, present, listening, eye contact, or however you show the person that you're listening, nodding, etc., but not interrupting, not saying, oh, yeah, that happened to me too, let me tell you how. No, it's just, or let me fix that problem for you. No, just listening, listening. I'll ring a bell. After two or three minutes, we'll switch roles. Then the person who is listening, partner B, will then share, oh, what, what happened for me today was, and this is how I might apply this in my life or in my work. And partner A will, again, simply practice fullest fullness of listening. Any questions about that? Okay, partner A, off you go. bringing your conversation to a close. So pausing for a moment. Maybe just closing your eyes and just sensing your body, sensing awareness. Notice what that was like to talk and share. You haven't been talking all day. Notice what it was like to listen.
and reversing roles. So the person who's listening, sharing what touched you today, what practice, how might you apply this in your life, in your work, etc. Off you go. Bringing your conversation to a close. And thanking your partner, coming back to your seat. Normally I do a debrief of that in the two of you, but uh, just for the sake of time, I'm going to just want to make sure that we end on time. Um, so just noticing what that was like. What was it like to listen? What was it like to talk? Um, and um, you know, 
can be interesting to have a space where someone's not jumping in and interrupting you. Maybe it's unusual for you to not be interrupting or advice giving or whatever else you like to do. Let me tell you about me autobiographizing. So, um, yeah. So we've covered a lot of ground today. So one of the lovely things you can do as you leave the retreat is, you know, practicing this engaged awareness in, in, in the midst of life, including getting into your car and dealing with traffic and shopping and food and whatever it is, and relational awareness, you know, bringing this quality of presence awareness to whoever it is you talk to at the end, whoever you see this evening, who you go home to, spouse, family, kids, neighbors, what's it like to bring awareness in that? And then what's it like to actually have awareness to be the gravitational pull or center of your experience? Generally our experience is we're very externally oriented. We're oriented out there. World, people, things, you know, by necessity, right? Engaging with life and work and kids and family and food and the world. And what's it like to also be just a little more settled back, settled in your body, settled in your awareness, uh, and, and the knowing of that experience, the knowing of how you move and talk and eat and interact in, in the world. So... Um, like so, like so, and that becomes a practice, right? And over time, as you, those of you who know, been meditating for a while, over time, mindfulness in the beginning feels like a lot of work. Oh, I'm going to be present now. Okay, breathe. Oh, I'm really distracted. Okay, I'll start again. Right? But over time, mindfulness becomes a little more familiar, a little more accessible. Awareness becomes a little more part of your experience and uh, over time one begins to establish oneself and able to abide as the Buddha spoke to abide in awareness established awareness where awareness becomes the reference point for how you move and engage in the world and and losing awareness losing presence losing mindfulness becomes less and less common even when you're caught up in the maelstrom of life we can be very grounded in awareness. So that's where this practice goes. And, and with that awareness, you know, we start to see more clearly. We start to see the nature of our things, of ourselves, of life, of reality. Start to find more peace and ease in, in ourselves and in the world. So um, anyhow, that's enough words for me today. Um, so very nice to be here with you all. Thank you for your practice and, and taking the day to cultivate presence and awareness and connection with people. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's just very lovely, um, especially since I came back from the woods. And uh, this is a nice re-entry. I'm disappearing again into the mountains tomorrow. Uh, this lady needs a ride to Berkeley. Anybody going to Berkeley that can offer a ride? Yes, thank you so much. Great. So needs a ride to San Anselmo. Anybody going to San Anselmo? Great. 
All right, thank you. Um, a few announcements. Um, so uh, I teach a lot here. I, I'm teaching... Um, I was just going to look at that date. I'm teaching here again uh, next month. Uh, when is it? So I normally do uh, once a year. I do a day long uh, on the inner critic. So in case you know someone who has an inner critic, you know, because <laughs> I know you're all free from it. But you know, just just in case, you know, so it might be helpful to somebody. I'm going to tell you the date. Maybe somebody else here knows the date because I'm not sure if I can find the date. Oh, yes, December 6th. Then look at that. It confers with my calendar. It's great. December 6th, uh, day long on the inner critic. If you have one, know if someone has one, send them along. It's, it's a fun, surprisingly fun day. It's very practical. It's very hands-on. It's very important work. It's very effective, partly based on my book, my last, second last book, the Make Peace With Your Mind. Um, working with the critic with compassion and awareness. Um, there's an email list outside if you want to know about my events. I teach a lot here. I teach a lot nature retreats, wilderness retreats, in Baja, in Colorado, in New Mexico, and beyond. Very wonderful and profound if you want to learn how to integrate nature and meditation. Um, you can sign up and I'll let you know. I do a couple of day-longs here, although not so much next year. Oh, no, I'm doing a three-day here next year in April. And I'm also, so that we're, we're moving into a, a lot of non-residential retreats here. So I'm doing a three-day mindfulness non-residential retreat the first weekend of the year in January. And in April, I'm doing a three-day non-residential meditation nature retreat. And um, I'm also, it hasn't been, hasn't launched yet, but we'll be doing a multi-weekend program. It's four weekends plus a, a retreat. It's going to be called Committed Practitioners Program. And it's for people who've done a few retreats and people who want to go a little deeper in the practice. We'll be exploring the Eightfold Path. Um, that'll be uh, coming to your inboxes at some point if you're on the Spirit Rock email list. Um... So my website is markcoleman.org and all my stuff is on there. Meditations, dates, and all kinds of information and things and books. And um, So if you want to know about that, just go there. And then lastly, um, there's some postcards out here. I run every two years here. I run a mindfulness teacher training with my dear friend and colleague Martin Aylward, who's a teacher from England. And... Um, it's a year-long deep immersion into uh, the practice of mindfulness from drawing from the depth of the Buddhist tradition, but training people how to teach mindfulness uh, in secular contexts, in psychology, in healthcare, and, and business, and yoga, and anywhere else. So um, the cards here about this, it doesn't start till next September, but we're taking applications. It's a wonderful training. Just ended one in the summer and started one in England. Uh, Rick over here is one of the graduates from that, so if you have any questions, you can, I'm putting you on the spot here, but <laughs> uh, he'd be, I'm sure, happy to talk about it. So, um, yeah, but most of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for your practice, and uh, may you abide in awareness. Yeah. And if you are doing continuing eds units, uh, please remember to sign out. We can't give you your certificate unless you sign out. And, uh, 
Okay, be safe, go happy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.